Today is Tuesday, February 20th, 2024, and you're listening to the Ask a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and I'm late for a dentist appointment. All right, so <laughs> uh, let's see. We start off with Psalms 25:14. A friend shared it with me. It is an excellent start. Um, we, we get into, um, well, just listen. Uh, and also, we talk about Greek. Uh, we have a friend who's learning ancient Greek so they can read the Bible in ancient Greek. Uh, then we talk about why, uh, you know, why, why Jesus was born as a baby. Why didn't he just show up as a fully grown adult? Um, read Revelation. That's how it's going to happen again. Anyway, so uh, why did he come as a baby? Uh, we talk about Pathway Publishing for more good Christian resources for uh, children's books. Um, then we talk about politics a little bit to a shift. Trucker protests in New York. Uh, Trump's court cases, the Supreme Court issues, all that yada yada stuff. 2024 election stuff. Um, ridiculous summary judgments and probably demon-possessed judges. Um, then we talk about methodological naturalism, and we get into that and go back uh, full circle into philosophy, and I promptly run away. Um, <laughs> uh, it's fun to hear people talk about sometimes, but I mean, after a while, it's like, I don't know, I guarantee, like, I know I, 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 if we let this go on long enough, I guarantee it would end with, how do you know you're not a brain in a vat? Like, that's where it always goes. Or, like, full, hard solipsism. Like, how do you know you exist? Do you exist? Do I exist? Ah, uh, the way this conversation's going, I don't want to exist. <laughs> anyway, um, but someone asked a very good question. Um, and what is cr the message of Christ? That is the greatest message and the greatest answer in the universe is Christ's message is repent, believe the gospel, believe the good news, express faith in him, pray to Jesus, Ask for eternal life. Ask him to make you born again, and you will be. It is a gift of God that no one can boast. So that's it. Uh, ask Jesus for eternal life, to be born again, repent, commit to following him. You will be saved. That's it. No matter what happens after that, you are good with God. So now you can continue on your merry way and do um, you know, deep philosophical discussions. And um, it doesn't matter. You have eternal life. I guess, sure. Do that if you want. <laughs> but um, learn about Jesus and follow him. That is the greatest question and the greatest message and the greatest story ever told. So have an awesome day. Check out the Ask a Christian store. Grab a t-shirt, puppy dog shirt, whatever, and support this podcast where we actually share the gospel with people online who need Jesus. Take care. Have an awesome day. Bye. You know, a friend brought up a verse um, that kind of goes with a lot of stuff we talked about um, the other day, and it is in Psalms. Turn your attention to Psalms. <laughs> Psalms 14, uh, especially in the NASB, it says, The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he will make known to them his covenant. I mean, man, if people would just read the book, it's got some good stuff. I mean, like lots of times when people are like, But why? But why? But is it ontological or is it blah, blah, blah consistency? Just repeat, repent and believe the Bible. Um, like, you know, we talk about 1 Corinthians 14 a lot, how Paul talks about spiritual discernment and spiritual things are spiritually discerned. And here's just another place in the Bible where it says it. So it's like, look, even if you don't believe this stuff, the words on the page are saying you're not going to get certain things unless you trust God to reveal them to you. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him and he will make them know his covenant. So if you take a little step down from your arrogant little footstool and think, hey, maybe there's something more to life than just me. Maybe I'm not a self-made person. Maybe I'm not perfect in every way. Um, you know, maybe there is a God. Uh, I don't know. I, th I think a lot of questions go away. And I think the, the path to Jesus gets a lot more clear. What are your thoughts on that?
I agree. I agree completely. I don't think the path to Jesus is, it's actually not a difficult concept. It's so easy that a child can understand it. And yet it can become deep enough that an elephant could wade through it, you know? <laughs> but you've got to get there first. Well, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, it's like trying to do rocket science, rocket science. And, um, be like, okay, look, I see you have a rocket, uh, like halfway built. Now I need you to explain, you know, like, I'm just going to jump in at like 80% when the rocket's done. It's still a mess. It barely looks like a rocket. There's like kind of a tube shape, but wires and tubes and like all, all these weird things. I don't know what is, is everywhere. So are you telling me this little like capacitor here can really make this thing work? Blah, blah, blah. And it's like trying to get the rocket scientists to like be like, what? Okay, fine. Let, let me try to explain this. Like, okay, it would be great if you started at the beginning, which is an empty hole, an empty shell. And then I can start from the groundwork and, and, you know, start with the ABCs of rocket ship space building. And then I can show you, you'll see how wires go here, how components go there, how they all connect together, how there's like silicon chips and all these things that eventually will get to this part in question. And you'll understand it a lot more because you've seen it from the basics. You've seen it from the ground up, but it's like, okay, fine. I get it. You don't want to do the work. You're lazy or don't care or arrogant or whatever. Fine. I'll try to meet you where you want me to meet you, but it's, it's going to be a lot harder than you think it is. So, all right, we're 80% done. All right. Now here's what this is. And they're like, no, that can't be real. That's that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. I'm like, look, man, if you'll just start at the beginning, it will make a lot more sense. Like it's no different with this. Like people are like, explain the Trinity. Oh, your God has a Trinity. Oh, there's three beings, but oh, you say it's one. How can that be? That's my arrogant voice. Um, it's like, dude, just start with Jesus. Start at the very beginning, which by the way is the ultimate point. If you get the beginning, you don't need anything else. Like if you get zapped by lightning, you're good. But I mean, if you start with the ABCs of Christianity, then you see how the foundation that's built on Jesus, you start getting into deeper doctrines and these things become infinitely easier to grasp and understand. It's like, oh, Jesus. Oh, the hypostatic union. How can he be fully God and fully man? The Trinity? How, how can there be three, uh, three yet one? How is this? How is it not polytheism? Like, if you try to start from the Trinity, it's going to be like, I mean, you're starting like halfway through the course. Like, anyway, so it's just frustrating. And it's just another thing that says, look, if you start with God, if you start by putting your faith in God, if you start with turning to Jesus, the guy the entire book is about, things are going to be so much easier for everyone. It's not going to frustrate the Christians um, who are trying to help you. But you're like, let the people who actually follow this religion tell you the best way to digest it. And I mean, it's not like a crazy theory, right? You don't have to spin on your head or upside down or anything. You just read the book. Just start from the beginning and read it all the way through, and you'll see how it centers and focuses on Jesus' death, burial, resurrection. That's the foundation. He says a couple things about building your house on a firm foundation. That's him. So start there, and then all a lot of these questions you have are going to just magically vanish because you're like, ah, it all makes sense. I no longer have those questions. But if you don't start on that firm foundation, um, is it any wonder you're confused? Rhetorical. No, it's not. Of course you're confused. Thoughts? Hey, Jimmy, what's up? <laughs> Why is everyone else so quiet? <laughs> what's up, Jimmy? I'm getting coffee.
the chef has the strange volume controls, brother. How you doing, man? Uh, good, good. How about yourself? Yeah, you sound pretty quiet. Yeah, my phone is not so great. Sorry. Is it an iPhone? No, no, it's uh, it's an old um, Motorola. Oh. I should have known something like that. <laughs> Maybe someone can figure out how to make Clubhouse work in like a ham radio. I'm sure there's somebody out there who can do that. <laughs> so uh, what have you been up to? I, I never see you around these parts. You're always on uh, early in the day, bro. That's like, uh, <clears throat> this is like worst time for me. I'm usually asleep or, uh, yeah, I'm usually asleep. <laughs> are, you, so, are you in the, are you, are you in Eastern time? Nope. I am uh, straight smack dab in the middle. I'm in I'm in Texas right now. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So so you are on here quite a bit in the uh, latter part of the day. Yeah. Well, sort of. It, it really depends on the day. But yeah, if I'm gonna be on, it's gonna be like uh, let's see, what is it, seven right now? So. I don't know, f uh, five, six hours from now, and then other times you'll find me on at like one in the morning. But you did, but like at this uh, early riser time, probably not. <laughs> it's how uh, it's how us old people do. I'm told. How old are you, Dave? You can't be that old. Uh, well, I'm 41. Yeah, that can't. That can't be old, because, uh... How old are you? Dude, I'm going to be 30 this year. <laughs> well, happy early birthday. Thank you, sir. What's new on here? What's what's uh, going on on Clubhouse? Absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> are, are you, uh... Live! Oh, well, I mean... I don't know. I mean, Christian drama and that that type of stuff. But um, as as far as as far as Clubhouse, like you know, giving us uh, the hallway back where random people can find us and ask questions about God, uh, that's that's still kind of a dumpster. Um, they've taken away our fun toys. Figures, man. App keeps getting worse. It's gotten a little bit better since they put the little uh, all live rooms thingy in the the search thingy. Well, the only one that helps. That, the only new person was like that guy yesterday. Um, he was like French or from France or whatever, but he had a problem with the gospel because uh, God uses male pronouns or something is what I gathered. So, I mean, I don't really know where to go. I'm like, well, that is Christianity. So, um, if if that gives you a big problem, then I I mean it may not be for you. I mean it's to your eternal detriment, so you know you shouldn't let something like a pronoun get in the way of eternal life. But yes, God is associated with the masculine pronoun, and that is just how it is. Sorry. Isn't it funny how the alphabet suit people are so contentious about you not using their preferred pronouns, but God's not allowed to use his preferred pronoun. <laughs> 
I was asking someone last night, they're like, they were saying like their work is like, uh, like the first thing they do for like, or maybe as medical students or something is um, ask them their pronouns and like, like really like focus on it. And like how you have to call them by the pronouns. I'm like, can your pronoun be like crisis king? And they have to just say that every time they want to talk to you. Like, uh, crisis king. Uh, hey, Nate. <laughs> like, yes, those are my pronouns. Uh, repent and believe. Those are my pronouns. Yeah, who is the who is the political commentator? He's having a conversation with uh, a uh, pro-abortion uh, proponent, and he was like, "I would like to self-identify as the one who is correct in this conversation." <laughs> That's hilarious. I I don't know. I didn't see that. So are are you still uh, in like? Um, what do you do in Clubhouse? Like, do you just talk theology or try to find people to discuss? Um, Christianity with non-Christians or are you more focused on Bible study or politics or I, I don't know uh, I'll talk anything man uh, topically as long as it's not sports but um, I, like my <laughs> yeah I'm not, I'm not a sports guy but like my modus operandi is I just kind of follow uh, friends around so if somebody invites me to a room I'll hop in I have links on the discord for a while, and but I'm always like looking at it in the evening, and it's like, oh, that's probably that's probably long gone now. So this is the first time I happened to be awake when I saw the link and was like, oh yeah, I mean, why not? I'll jump. Ah. Well, happy to have you. Does does that uh, does Amy ever jump on here, or is she way too busy? Like probably what actually building rocket ships or something. Pretty much, yeah. She. Uh, <laughs> She does uh, her data analysis stuff, and um, she she's actually spending a lot of time learning Greek, so um, that's like her side hobby. She doesn't really have she she doesn't think she has time for a clubhouse. She probably does, but um, she feels like she would end up um, wasting too much time on here, and then that would take away from her other topics of interest. So. Well, that's thing. probably true. But if you never, uh, yeah, it's probably true. So is she trying to like learn Greek, um, like to to study it, how lots of other people say they like go to school and like you know learn Greek, but they can't actually speak it, or is she trying to learn it so she can um, actually speak Greek? The more so the latter. Yeah, she's already um, at a level where she can speak it. Uh, enough to like have a whole class where they're constantly talking in it so it's pretty cool that is awesome because like you know there's uh, i don't want to put anyone down but you know like there's a lot of people who like go to linguistics and they make it their hobby to like, kind of fight the bible based on their scholarship of you know like kind of knowing they're like well i'm a greek scholar or i know greek and i'm like really order a falafel uh, in Greek, like, wow, I don't speak it. I'm like, well, then, so you basically just use study tools like the rest of us. And, you know, with a lot of nuancing, um, that's kind of the impression I get. So I'm like, well, you know, maybe I'd be more confident, but I'm like, you know, we have a couple of Christians here who actually, you know, they live in Greece, they are Greek, and they speak Greek. Um, so, you know, it turns out that they're like, yeah, bro, just listen to the Bible. Like, uh, they have a lot of good people who translate this stuff really well, and yeah. You don't need me to translate it for you. Like, uh, you know, I can help you out with like what a word means every now and then um, in the original language. But 
yeah, if you don't want to take my word for it, just read the Bible. Turns out it's a pretty solid book. Um, so I always thought, well, you know, it would be, it'd be great to find people that actually, you know, speak the language and just kind of be like, oh, you studied it for eight years and don't speak it? Well, um, and then saying like some catchy retort in actual Greek. <laughs> like, study that. <laughs> nice. What, uh, what sort of, that's really, um, that's strange to me. What kind, I'm wondering like what kind of objection somebody could make about scripture from the standpoint of the Greek language. Like, how is that? I can't. Even oh, very imagine. weak ones. Oh. Um, okay. Okay. So, uh, was anyone here? Oh, we were just talking about this days ago. Well, it's never anything that holds water. Um, because we, we just go, you know, I mean, we bring up strong concordance and we're like, Oh, this word. And then I, you know, I, I pronounce it badly in, in Greek and, uh, Oh, it, it just happened. What was the objection? Oh, boy. I, I don't know. But I remember, like, one time someone tried to do the love thing. I, I, I mean, the one that we're, I, I'm trying to think happened just, like, three days ago. Um, it was a big conversation, and they're like, oh, 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 it was, oh, it was, okay, it was about the, it was about the law, so I guess this, this was actually Hebrew, because apparently they are a scholar in that, too. So, not really Greek. But it was about the law, and they were trying to say how, like, um, uncover the nakedness really could mean something like um like incest related not necessarily against homosexuality or something and i'm like okay great like th their case was saying like you know this law in the old testament um they thought wasn't speaking against homosexuality um which meant that the homosexual stuff was added later in the bible um, at the whims of people writing it who found homosexuality distasteful so they did it and I'm like, okay, well, great. Fortunately, though, we have plenty of redundancies in the Bible, so there's plenty of other stuff in, in Levitical law or Leviticus that talks against homosexuality, um, as well as Genesis, which predates that. So, I mean, it's kind of like a nothing burger by the time it's all fleshed out. But if they kind of catch someone at the beginning, it's like, oh, see, by the time you get to Romans, uh, maybe they just added that. And then someone that, you know, doesn't really, hasn't read their Bible, maybe swayed. And then they're like, well, hey, I'm going to be a lady pastor now and, you know, join the United what, Lutheran Church or whatever. Sorry, Jimmy. I did a really bad uh, service of not answering your question at all. <laughs> no, that was that was a good example. OK, so I mean, it wasn't the Greek language, but yeah. OK, somebody somebody pulls up a. Uh, somebody has a, a political agenda in interpreting so this is the thing that kills me with that with that kind of argument is that um, i understand why a, a liberal so-called would um you know take that take that reading but for somebody if somebody is trying to pull um, academic authority on that kind of interpretation the problem i always have is just it depends on the text but we, the, what do they think the translations that we have come from? Like, there are thousands of scholars behind those. What kind of arguments do they have to deal with the people in their own field? I, I yeah, I, I'm with you. It, yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's, it's kind of insulting and a little, like, you know, patronizing. So somewhere between, well, you know, be gracious and humble and... Dude, why don't I tell you about my own religion? Thanks. But I, I, I do remember one time um, 
kind of Greek, but far, far removed, was, you know, some one, one person talked about love, and they're like, you know, um, love in the Greek actually has, I'm like, what, is it five different meanings? They're like, five different meanings. How did you know that? I'm like, we have strong concordance, and, uh, you know, we have interlinear Bibles, and we have great tools to help us. And they just acted shocked, like, you know, it's kind of like one of those um, Matt Damon in Goodwill Hunting moments, where it's like, yeah, you spent like a hundred grand on your education, and we get this for like a dollar twenty-five in late fees at the library. Um, How do you I'm like, like them oh. apples? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, love. Does it have five meanings? Is one like brotherly love? One's like agape, like fatherly, like all-encompassing love. One's like a romantic love. Is that what you're gonna say? I'm like, just repent, believe the gospel. We can all be friends. Um, <laughs> Edwin, did you have something to say? Hey, hey, Nate. Yeah, about What's the up? Greek issue. Morning. Hey, morning. About the Greek issue, do you think um, knowing Greek, learning Greek helps you have better theology? No. I mean, I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> I, I mean, there may be, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there may be some, like, very... Like, what we were just talking about, like, the, the five different types of, of love. Like, if you really understand that, it, I mean, it may put, like, a finer point on, like, one little end of your theology. But, I mean, anything that matters, uh, no. Like, for God so mm-hmm. loved the world, like... If you think, oh, God's like my bro. I mean, you shouldn't think that. But I mean, you know, if you thought, oh, okay, it's just like this general type of love. Like, hey, I want to be cool with you. You'd be cool with me. I, I mean, that may be slightly incorrect theology. But I mean, if you're like, well, God still loved the world. He sent his only son that whoever believes. Like, okay, I believe that. Um, or if it's like, you know, this agape understanding of love. I mean, maybe that could like nuance your theology just ever so slightly. But for all intents and purposes, for practical application, no. Yeah. You're just a saved uh, I mean, for the record, you know, God is not your bro. God is holy and sovereign, but you get what my meaning is. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, because I remember years ago I was – I bought some Greek grammars, and I was working on memorizing Greek words and studying Greek. And I got to the point, I'm like, why am I doing this? Is this really necessary? I could just use Greek. I could use tools off the internet. Why, why am I learning Greek? <laughs> so I could tell people, oh, I know Greek. Ooh, they're going to be more likely to listen to what I have to say. <laughs> anyway, I have to – you would be shocked, Edwin, because that is exactly what they're like. <laughs> well, I know Greek. I took four years of Greek. I mean, I mean, I was at a Bible study one time, and little did I know the guy teaching it was a heretic. All of a sudden, he starts teaching baptism regeneration, right? So we got into this big debate, and I found out that he used to teach, teach Greek. Well, a lot of Greek, a lot of help is Greek that you're teaching Daniel heresy. I'm just saying, I just think it's overrated. People that learn ten years Greek, yeah. Anyway, I have a totally unrelated question. Is that okay? Has nothing uh, yeah, to do with yeah. it. Okay. Proverbs twenty verse six says, "Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man or a trustworthy friend?" <clears throat> now, do you think this is basically saying that most people are full of crap when they talk about themselves? Like, because many a man proclaims his own loyalty, his own faithfulness, but but who can find a a trustworthy man? Do you think it's the case that most people are not trustworthy. Most people talk well of themselves. Like, I think if you pulled everybody in this room, are you a trustworthy friend? Most people would say yes. But I think in light of this verse and other things in the Bible, I think most it, we can conclude that most people are probably not telling the truth. And most of us are not faithful. And most people love... are just full of crap. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I, I would love to give a personal antidote, and then I'd, I'd like to hear what Jimmy actually thinks biblically, but uh, 100%, yes, that that immediately makes me, like, I'm in a land of, like, a million realtors, um, 
So everyone here is a realtor. Shout out Steph. Um, she's a good one though. And, and also not here. But like everyone down here, it's like with everything, they have to tell you how good they are. So it's like somewhere between like self-promotion, like, well, you know, you're not, you're not going to say, hey, I'm the worst bummer ever. So I guess it extends to other professions too. But, you know, it's just like whenever you meet someone and it's like, hey, do you know any of this? Or, hey, I'm looking for this. Aren't you an electrician? They're like, oh, yeah, man, I'm the best one in the area. Like, don't worry about these other guys. Like, hey, I'm the best one. Like, I'm going to tell you this and I'm going to do this, blah, blah, blah. Turns out people who usually make that pitch are the worst. They are awful in my humble experience. Um, so that, that like hit my soul, that proverb right there. Um, because yes, like people talk a huge game and it's usually like the, the quite humble ones who are like, Oh, you know, I, I you know, I, I, yeah, I went to school. I studied under this guy, you know, I've, I've got experience. I've done this for 30 years, but, um, yeah, you know, I, I like to see the job first. I don't like to promise things I can't do. I'm like, great. I hire you. And someone's like, yeah, I got out of school. I don't know why I went. I didn't really need it. Like, yeah, I ripped your house off. I don't even know what kind of house you have. How many floors does it have? Don't matter. There are alligators swimming in it. Ah, it's fine. I, I, you know, I, I subdue alligators in my sleep. Like, I got this. I got this. And then, like, more times than not, you have to, like, get a second opinion or call someone to, like, unmess up their work. It is infuriating. Yes. So, the Bible is true. <laughs> Jimmy, do you well, have I... a uh, maybe a more holy answer? Oh, one, one thing, Nate. One thing, I'll be quick. Yeah. You ever, yeah. Hear, you ever hear a couple of things? I'll be brief. It reminds me of the saying, empty cans make the most noise. You ever hear that? <laughs> yes. And so I'm just thinking that because people know maybe that they're not faithful, they feel like to prove it, they think, I just got to tell people I'm trustworthy. You can trust me. Even though they know, that's not the way you convince people. You've got to just walk the walk. You know, walk, but walk the talk? What is it? <laughs> walk the talk? Anyway, go on. If you go talk, on. talk the talk, you got to walk the walk. Or if you talk the yeah, talk, I think, I think don't walk virtue, the walk. Yeah, virtues are better demonstrated than declared. Because right? sometimes I get a kick. I've been on like single sites over the years. And people say, oh, I'm loyal. I'm funny. I'm this, I'm that. Well, prove it. What, what, what am I supposed to I'm going to believe what you're saying? Pro demonstrate your virtues rather than just declaring them. If you're funny, prove to me that you're funny. Yeah, I, don't think, I don't find you funny at all. Anyway, go on, Satan. <laughs> I don't think I really have anything to add. I mean, that's, yeah, that passage is right on. Hey, can you explain, for people that don't know you, they just call you Satan. Can you explain that? Uh, I think, what, here it's a Satan, and Discord it's like Satan for Christ. Like, can you explain that? Yeah, it's a um, play on words. The, wor the word uh, Satan is a Hebrew um, word. And tester? What'd you say? For like tempter or tester, is that where you're going? Uh, actually, well, no. So what it means is antagonist. It means um, opponent or or one who stands in the way, someone who is opposing someone else. Um, funny enough, like one of the one of the passages where that term is used is of a theophany. It's when uh, the Lord appears to the prophet Balaam. And the donkey doesn't want to move forward because the donkey notices the angel, though he does not, right? And it, the phrase there in the Hebrew is something like, you know, he's, he stood there in opposition to Balaam or something like that. Anyways, uh, the term did not originally mean etymologically. It's not originally like a name or a cognomen for the devil, the enemy, capital E. Um, it's just a It's just a word that you could use for anybody who is an opponent of anybody else. And I just think it's um, 
I think it's uh, insightful to consider that that you know these even something like the the phrase most used for our enemy the devil is something he's sort of stolen from God that even even this notion of being an opposer even even in that role he is parasitic and trying to steal glory even though the original opposer the you know the one who more rightly um more truly carries the honor of being the one who opposes evil is God. Well, good explanation. That must be a <laughs> that must be a lot to a. Uh, oh, that'd be funny if you like your your church or whatever like found that name. You'd have to explain to, like everyone. <laughs> it's like, hello, Mister Satan for Christ. Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, for sure. What's up, CEO? Hey, um, I wanted to weigh in on the um, on the scripture. So I interpret it to to be a reminder for us to use our wisdom and discernment as opposed to just going off appearances. And one of the things that can be difficult to remember is is Nate, you're talking about realtors. Well. Well, I think what's fascinating is you could have an experience with a realtor and it'd be terrible. I could have an experience with the same realtor and it'd be wonderful. So it's not always a commentary on the person. It's a commentary on whether or not you, you feel called to work with that person and that person's going to be a good fit. So people themselves aren't always, quote unquote, bad, but they might just be bad for you. So I, I think that, that, that that's what I felt hearing that scripture. Well, thank you for that. Uh, Nate, can I ask you, can I ask you a question? In uh, I, if you looked at the chat, there was one question I wanted to ask yesterday, but I didn't have the time. I don't remember what was it. So basically, uh, it, I really wanted to ask to Chris because I heard him specifically saying this, but I don't know if you believe it. Uh, in Matthew 20, chapter twenty-four, verse thirty-six. But concerning that day and hour, no knows not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. So th this verse, I heard Chris say that this is an this is actually a Semitic idiom. Uh, do you actually uh, agree with him, and do you believe this? Uh, I missed the big word you used. Something something idiom. Yeah, what does that word mean? Uh, a Semitic idiom. So basically, yeah. The short answer is we all think Jesus knows the day and the hour now. So we think when he said that, um, I, I forget, uh, it's hard to channel Maynard Chris, I forget what he actually thinks. But if you're wondering if we think like Jesus knows that now, uh, yeah, we all think Jesus knows that now. Oh, June. Um, oh, can I, 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 think, I, think, I think Chris thinks, uh, I think, yeah, maybe Jimmy can answer it better. But I think Chris and I um, think that Jesus knew that then too, but I forget if like how he compartmentalizes it. Jimmy, do you know what okay, right. do you, How would you compromise? Wait, wait, hang because... on. I heard yeah. Jimmy first, and then Ed. Okay. Jimmy. Well, I just I wanted to ask for clarity. It sounds like June is asking about the interpretation of that passage in which it's thought that Jesus is referring to a cultural practice at the time in which case the, the father of the family would decide the date. So Jesus is not, if, if that's the case, Jesus is not necessarily even talking about like propositional knowledge or, or a, a noetical knowledge. What he, what he would really be saying if, if he's expressing that cultural idiom 
is only the father decides when this will happen. It's up to the father is what he's saying. Yeah. But wasn't that not Jesus an answer? Would, which means Jesus would know the day and the time. Yeah, I, that's what I would go to. That's what I, I was thinking too. But um, so uh, I w- the context of this question is that, that there was a Muslim that asked this question. He said, how can, if Jesus is God, how can he know and not know at the same time? Now, um, I started to see more Christians saying that this is a cultural phrase. This is like a, a figure of speech. It has nothing to do with whether a Jesus knows or anything or, or or anything like that. It has nothing to really do with Christology or anything like that. It's just a, a saying um, addressing to the people. But I feel like the more I research on this topic, because it's talking about that uh, the the day and the hour, I feel like it's most likely referring to uh, um, the eschatological times, the end times. It seems like it's in that type of context. Uh, according to Josephus, there are many Jews that were divided uh, in in terms of um, the end times, when it will come and everything else. But what they felt is that um, around the time of Jesus is very significant because in the Old Testament, it prophesies that there's something big that's going to happen in the seventy in the seventieth generation of Adam, and that and and that time period was the time period of Jesus. So they were all debating what would actually happen. Many people had concerns of the temple. They were very scared of the Roman Empire. Uh, so they were debating, and it felt like for me, uh, Jesus said in the context that no one knows the end times except God. He does use the word Father. But at the end of the day, for me, it, it's not like it has, it, he's only <clears throat> saying to the Father only in the Trinity. He's just saying to the regular Jewish audience. Saying, well, yeah, I think stuff. it is definitely an eschatological, eschatological speak. But, I mean, there's only two answers. And I'm not going to call anyone a heretic that thinks something else. Edward, we're going right to you. Um, but, I mean, one, Jesus totally knows everything because, you know, he's God, he's omniscient, and it was a cultural thing. Or also, if you say Jesus, like, didn't know, that's because he was here on earth, right? And the Bible specifically says, you know, like when he was, uh, like, preaching in the temple at, like, 12. Like, you know, he he grew in stature and knowledge. So, like, earthly human, you know, flesh and bone Jesus uh, didn't uh, come out as a baby knowing everything. Um, but Jesus, you know, totally knows everything now. So, th- I mean, those are pretty much the only directions you can take. And, uh, I mean, I'm not going to call either either side of that a heretic because um, I think they can justify it well enough that it's not a salvation issue. Um, Edwin, what do you think? Hey, well said, Nate. Yeah, I agree with your, your point about um, Jesus growing in knowledge. Uh, did you get cut off, Edward? Yeah. Edward, are you there? Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah, can you can you hear me? I'm sorry, my, yes. my earpiece disconnects yes. at times. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, what I was saying, yeah, well said. Uh, you know, agree that you know Jesus grew in knowledge. There was things that he did not know as a child, and he grew in wisdom and knowledge. Anyway. What I wanted to chime in about is the um, the phrase, no one knows a day and hour. Supposedly, what I've heard, that is an idiom for the Feast of Trumpets. This is one of the things that I've heard. I don't know if it's true. That would Jesus actually telling us when the second coming would occur would be on the Feast of Trumpets. But I don't know if that's a true statement, but that's just one of the things I've heard. That's a Jewish idiom for that, the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, Jimmy, what are you trying to say? 
Oh, I just I said uh, the Matrix has him. See if you got. You got oh. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that? Now that you have more uh, explanation of what. Yeah, thank you so much for people who try to answer. I, I'm kind of family on the beast of the trumpets, but the the more what I'm. Well, well, hey, hang on, I well, hang on. I was I specifically asking Jimmy if he wanted to weigh in now that he's had more explanation of what we were talking about. Oh, oh, not really. So, <clears throat> I, I guess I'm I'm more or less indifferent because of what you already pointed out that whether or not Jesus is speaking about like some kind of. Uh, c- consciousness of the date, like he, he knows the date, or whether he's making a comment about the Father's sovereignty over it, either way, it's not going to be an issue because there's there wasn't an issue with, with uh, the Son and his humanity experiencing ignorance to begin with. I mean, the, the Muslim could just bring up, like he said, Jesus being a child and not knowing things as a child. Would that be a contradiction? No, because the Son uh, has two natures. And then I think it gets into what someone mentioned. Hang on, Gene. There's a lot of people on the stage. I still want to get to Sean. He hasn't said a word yet. Um, but I think that brings up also what people would would say, you know, is your understanding. Like, you know, how Jesus says the Father is greater than all. But then is this because, uh, you know, like a lot of times Muslims will say, it's, is it competing wills? Like who is more dominant, the Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? It's like, no, it's not. It, it's like, you know, teamwork makes a dream work. It's not like a battle of the gods and they're going to see which one comes out on top, like in some sort of barbarian warmongering, um, you know, um, way that another culture may understand it. It's like, no, it, it's like, uh, oh, what's the word? It's like ecum- ecumenical trinity or like, ba- we're like, basically, you know, they're all in agreement, right? Like, you know, Jesus does the will of the father. And uh, so it's not like there's a battle of wills or whatever. It's they're, they're all the one and only God. Um, so I think that that mindset shift causes a lot of problems because they don't understand it that way. Like if you see everything as what, if you see everything as a, if you're a hammer, you see everything as a nail. So if you're from a, a culture that's like warring and about dominance and who can be the ultimate, well then you're probably going to see God that way. But that's not how it's presented um, in the Bible. Like the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're in complete agreement on you know their roles and you know roles, rules, responsibilities, whatever. They're in agreement. So it's not like they're battling for dominance. Um, there's an agreed upon order. Anyway. Uh, Sean, you haven't said anything. Did you want to say... Oh, Jimmy, wait, hang on. Jimmy, give me a skull. Jimmy. Why'd you, why'd you give me a skull, Jimmy? I was laughing at what your... The, the hammer and the nail. <laughs> I just saw a skull. I thought I... <laughs> okay, we're all still friends, right? <laughs> would you say that differently, or would you say that... Um, uh, would no, you say that's good enough? That's so funny, dude. Emo- emoticons are so context-related. Uh, now I was saying, like, I'm dead. Like, you knocked me dead. I'm, that's funny. I'm laughing my, my head off. Okay, I'm, I'm safe from the pyre today. All right. Um, <laughs> Sean, what's up? Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, number one, I'm going to say this. When it comes to that, no man knows the day or the hour, but my father says only. The, the thing about it is, Jesus said, I only do the things I see my father do. Sean, you're real hard to hear. There's a lot of crackling. Well, I'm, I'm, it's probably the boots I'm on. Uh, can you hear me? Is that better? Uh, sure. All right. As I was saying, uh, I was looking at that Matthew 24, 36, why everybody was discussing. But when you come down to, when we talk about eschatology, Scripture is clear. 
Jesus was actually speaking in his humanity. In his humanity, no, no one knows. He couldn't have known. But in his divinity, in his deity, oh, because he's God, oh yeah, <laughs> he knows. And guess what? As we look at the day, that are growing more wicked by the day. We need to go ahead and just go and say, be ready. That's what his, that's what his, his warning was in Matthew, in Matthew 24. Be ready. Well, you don't know that hour that he comes. He will come like a thief in the night. Just be ready. And uh, yeah, thanks, Sean. We, we heard enough of that um, to hear what you were saying. Um, hey, there's a question someone asked. Uh, Jimmy or Todd, if you guys would like to answer, I'd like to hear how you'd explain it. So uh, when Jesus was born, was he just human? He wasn't fully God at the same time. So, you know, I know we say, you know, fully God, fully man. <clears throat> but I think the question came on the heels of that. Like, you know, did Jesus really not know in his humanity? Because if he's fully God and fully man, well, surely he should know. Um, how would you explain uh, that? Um, yeah, I think that's kind of like asking if Jesus is fully God and fully man, then isn't he fully omnipotent and shouldn't experience any weakness like dying on a cross? Well, no, right? Like the human nature is capable of uh, undergoing all kinds of properties that his divine nature is not. He's, he's quite capable of experiencing weakness. And in the same way, he's quite capable of experiencing ignorance. He does not know some things in his human nature, which he at the same time knows in his divine nature. Those two natures um, have different noetic capacities. So it's, yeah, it's, it is the very fact that he's fully God and fully man that explains why he is able to be ignorant or experience weakness and other such things, even though he is still the one who knows all things. And in fact, the one who upholds all things. So, uh, but the question, so uh, Jimmy, are you saying that it's possible for Jesus to die as a baby? Uh, because he, he is fully human and fully God at the same time. I'm sorry, bro. I, I missed the, the end of that. So it, that it's possible for Jesus to die and then I missed the rest of that sentence. As a baby, because he's fully God and fully man. Yeah, there's no, it's not like a physical impossibility, right? What what makes, um, what ensured that Jesus did not die was a matter of God's sovereign superintention of people's choices. It's not a matter of Jesus has like some kind of magical shield surrounding him or something like that, right? He, he absolutely could have died as a baby if someone like stabbed him in the heart or something. The reason that nobody could do that is a matter of God's perfect, wise running of history, not because Jesus lacks human weakness. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it, like for, like for example, you know, if, if Jesus would have got COVID, <laughs> you know, maybe maybe there wouldn't be a Jesus, right? But what Jimmy said, a hundred percent. Like, you know, it's because, uh, you know, I mean, like we're told from the from the foundations of the world, um, you know, it talks about the Lamb that was slain. So it was always Jesus was going to be the sacrifice for sins, um, which was a very specific thing. So for whatever, you know, like God just, uh, you know, supernaturally imposing or orchestrating things in such a way that nothing, you know, came to harm Jesus <clears throat> before this appointed time. 
I think that that's why. Yeah, because if he would have got COVID or, you know, someone would have like, you know, shot a random arrow or he was playing lawn darts. Like that would, I can't imagine that if Jesus was like playing lawn darts and like he's the only one that never got impaled because it just, it's, anyways. Um, okay, so don't play in train tracks or whatever, but it's not a call to be unsafe. But also that's why um, when, oh gosh, what was the thing I actually wanted to say? I ruined it over that stupid joke. Um, give me a second. <laughs> oh, 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 but um, hang on, hang on. But oh, that's like, you have a lot of buzzing, CEO. I don't know what's going on, but it's like just a general hissing or buzzing whenever you unmute. Um, it's different than usual. We can still hear you, though. But I, I think that's also why, like, when people ask about, oh, infanticide and, you know, Jesus is do uh, God's doing genocide in the Old Testament. Um, I also don't think it's a bad way to think about why that reason could have been. Like when God's like, hey, go fight the Amalekites and go fight these people. And, hey, wipe them all off the face of the earth. Like, don't keep anything. Kill everything. Um, that could very well be because, you know, if they left, you know, one little cute little baby and raised them up or one little teenager, um, what's going to happen? Like, you, you just killed my entire family, bro. Like, of course, like, I'm, I'm going to, like, dole out vengeance. So if that could have somehow, like, um, been possible to let some of those lines continue on who were sworn enemies of, like, Israel, um, they could have, you know, ended up fighting and killing one of the ancestors um, of Jesus. So, uh, you know, that would have prevented Jesus. And, uh, you know, you could have said God supernaturally stopped that. But, I mean, this is kind of a way of, well, naturally stopping it. Just food for thought. Uh, see you. Yeah. Um, so, Jimmy, I wanted to ask you the most extreme version of this question, just to kind of answer a big picture. How come six-month-old Jesus couldn't walk on water, speak fluently, and do jumping jacks? Maybe he could. Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Well. Yeah, I mean, to to our, I would say two things, right? So to our knowledge, we have no reason to think that he did miracles at that young age. So I guess to that extent, we would we would minimally have to stay silent about it. But uh, the reason why we would expect that Jesus did not do any of those things, like that he had to be carried around by his parents, for example, instead of just magically telling Herod, hey, um, angels are going to come down and uh, teleport all of your soldiers over to uh, the Americas or, or some weird miracle like that, right? The reason uh, why we interpret it that way is because Jesus was human, and human children um, don't have any of those capacities, right? Human children don't really think that articulately. They don't uh, come and make grand speeches about this is what God's going to do, like like the prophets of the Old Testament. Like, we have every reason to think that Jesus underwent the frailties of human life he, he was a man and so like i don't i don't know if he ever got sick i sort of doubt it because i think that um that his um healing people of their sickness served an eschatological purpose it, it demonstrates his deity it demonstrates his messiahship so i don't think that he would have gotten sick but i don't know that he didn't suffer other kinds of uh hardships I don't know. So, but, but one of the ones we would have expected was, yeah, he, as a baby, his parents had to um, take him down to Egypt, right? He wasn't the one doing miracles to save himself. And that suggests the, the weakness of a child. And I also wouldn't have like a huge problem with, you know, thinking like he was out with like Joseph, uh, you know, doing like stone masonry or woodwork or whatever. And, uh, you know, hits his thumb with a hammer and he's like, ouch. I mean, you know, to, or to think he never got a splinter. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think what you said is fine, and I, I think 
I don't know. Did Jesus ever stub his toe on the ground? Maybe. I, I don't know. Is that, is that really what we want to talk about? Um, but hey, there's another question. Um, let's see. I have a why question as well. Uh, why did the Lord decide to be born as a baby? And ooh, ooh, there's a Bible verse for this. Uh, why did the Lord decide to be born as a baby and not take on flesh? Uh, hang on. And not. Why did the Lord decide to be born as a baby and not take flesh as an adult and uh, just come down to earth that way? Um, does yeah, anyone know off the top of their head the, the Bible verse about like how he humbled himself and that? Go ahead, Todd. Oh, well, I don't know the address. Oh, well, I can't think of the address right now. But uh, Well, go with what you were uh, saying. <laughs> well, I'll add to that, though. Um, yeah, he humbled himself and became a man um, for sure. But the reason why he had to become he had to be born of the virgin was because he had to be born in the line of David, um, to be King. Um, so he had to be able to be in the, the kingly line. Um, we get that from Matthew after the genealogy so that that's his kingly line. Um, that's why he had to be born as a baby so that he could be King of the world. That's not the only reason to, uh, to add to that. Um, if Jesus had a male, if, if he had a, a paternal humanly father, then that would have linked Jesus's bloodline to Adam and you would have a covenantal problem, right? For those of us who, who take a uh, federal headship understanding of penal substitutionary atonement, which is just a bunch of fancy language for saying, hey, there are two men in history who represent all of men, all of mankind. There's the one man, Adam, and if he's your representative, you stand guilty before God because you've inherited his fall. The only alternative is to be reborn, to be born again into the covenant of Christ so that now Jesus is your representative before God and you, you get all of his righteousness and he takes all of your sin to the cross. Uh, that requires that God is the one who comes down and impregnates Mary because otherwise Jesus there would be a, a major difficulty with Jesus being tied to Adam's covenant as it is because uh, God supernaturally impregnated Mary um, that is a case of him creating a new humanity um, yeah the one I was thinking about is somewhere where did it go it's philippians yeah philippians 2 6 and 8 so th this is kind of goes back to how how you you know how you how you see a god is how you treat a god or how you um your understanding of a god is how you perceive a god or something like one of those sayings but philippians 2 uh, 6 and 8 though he was in the form of god he did not regard equality with god something to be exploited but emptied himself taking the form of a slave being born in human likeness and being found uh, in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Uh, and then Romans 14, um, I was looking at, talks about how, like, just as through Adam, like, sin entered the world through one man. And then it was, like, contrasting that. It says, so through Jesus, like, um, you know, something about, if someone wants to pull up that full verse, but something about, like, through one man, you know, redemption can, like, save save everyone or something like that. But it's a contrast through Adam. So, you know. Uh, I think a lot of times people like, like in, in Islam, I believe they think that Jesus started speaking in the manger. Like I, I believe they say something 
because you know they have this very very powerful type um, like total I don't know upper echelon view of things. So they'll say you know Jesus when he was born in the manger as a little baby he started speaking like perfect perfect language um, because they even they believe Jesus was born as a baby, but they want him to be like powerful and like uh, like top tier or super dominant um, versus this in Philippians that talks about how he had humility and, you know, it's like leading by example, right? We were called to be humble and have humility about us. And that's how Jesus was. It was like the ultimate lead by example. So as a servant, and the Bible also has another scripture that says, you know, in every way he suffered temptation just as us and he knows our weaknesses. So we don't have a high priest who can't understand us on every level, uh, but he does. The only difference is he did not sin. So right. if Jesus just poof, like appeared as like a perfect uh, human, which by the way, if you want that, like check out Revelation, that's exactly what happens. He, he totally comes back in, in fully grown up form. Um, so it's going to happen. But it, it instead of showing up like in a, a perfect, like the top specimen of humanity and being like, I am Jesus, uh, hear me roar like that. Um, he leads by example. So being born just as we are, so we can't say, well, Jesus, you know, I get that you may understand some of my adult issues, but you don't understand what it's like to be a teenager, Jesus, or you don't understand what it's like to be a baby, Jesus. Um, yes, he does. We don't have that excuse. So I, I would say with those verses we, we just read, um, it's the ultimate sign of, you know, humbling himself. And even when he was born as a baby, right, he was born as like the lowest possible place you could be born as a baby in a feeding trough for livestock. Like he wasn't born in like Pharaoh's, you know, kingdom. Or he wasn't born in like you know bedazzled jeweled cribs, um, so I think it speaks to the ultimate sign of humility uh, that he took on for us, which is something that blows the mind of other religions because they don't understand that. They're like, how could God, you know, lower themselves that much and eat like we eat and you know sleep like we sleep? Like it's so insulting um, for people who have that high view of what a God must be. And I would say I agree with them on every level unless that God chooses to do that because they will say something like, you know, who can kill a God or who can fight a God or who can tell a God what to do or who can oppose a God? No one, including you. So if God says, I'm going to humble myself and be born as, uh, you know, as one of my creation and experience life just the way they do, if that is the sovereign decree of a God that no one can go against, then fall in line. That's how it is. If that's what God wants to do, that's what God's going to do. Um, yeah, so, yeah, so no problem. Appreciate that. So what you said is spot. Oh, why does everyone just get a call as soon as they search? Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Um, what you said was spot on, right? So that's what you're going to get when you read the Gospels, right? Um, the verse that you read in, in uh, Philippians where he says, finding himself in the morphia God, he did not look at it to take to his own advantage but found himself in the form of a servant, right? This is what we also see when we go to Matthew 20 and 28, right? He did not come to be served, but to be a servant, right? Now, when you read uh, the Gospel of John, this is the theme. And a lot of people get tripped up on this because what they do is no one reads the Gospel from beginning to end, right? They, they may say they do, but they don't. Because if you read the Gospel from beginning to end, every single Gospel, what you're going to see is this basic theme. He is God who came in humility and is only doing those things which his fathers tells him. Like the verse you quoted in Hebrews where it says, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our infirmaries, was tempted in every way that we uh, are, but did not sin. And then we also see this in Hebrews chapter two, right? Same book, two and nine, where it says that he became a little lower than the angels for a little while, 
right? So if you read the whole entirety of the Bible, what you get is you see the son of the word of God, who is God, comes down in the flesh and humbles himself to the point of obedience where he's only doing those things that the father tells him to do in order to show signs that he is the son of God and that all might believe and see his glory so that they could see the father's glory and likewise vice versa. So it's reciprocal glory that's been given there. You can read this when you read uh, uh, John chapter 17, 5 and, and down to uh, 24, right? So you see this theme here. So you, so if one does not pay attention to everything in the, in the Gospels, they're going to walk away with this theme saying, oh, he was just a man because he did not know. But then when you isolate a verse such as no man knows the day or the hour, you're ignoring the rest of the text, which actually highlights that he is God that's been there in the beginning and created all things. So it only works when you isolate it. By the way, uh, Kevin, uh, Nate, uh, I was trying to explain to Sobey, and I don't, I don't think Kevin understood what I was saying. Do you think it's possible when he says uh, no one knows the time of the, uh, the hour, no, the angels know the sun? I was wondering if the sun actually is actually referring to Jesus. I, I think it's possible that it's not. Uh, though the capitalization that we see in most uh, English translations of the Bible, if you look at the Greek manuscript, there is no such thing as capitalization. So for me, because in the Old Testament, people keep calling themselves the son or sons of God. It can just be just the Jew, the the people that Jesus was just speaking to. And in terms of the Father, it doesn't necessarily have to do with the Father and the Trinity. It's just simply talking about God. It's just saying no one knows uh, the, the end times except God. That's all. It's just a general phrase. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to refer to the members of the Trinity or anything whatsoever. No, I don't believe that. Um, for that, I don't. I don't think it's like one of the things like where they try to say like what John eight. How it's like, have you not heard? Ye are gods. Like I don't think it's one of those things that's referring to multiple people. I think. I think when he says son, he means him. So he's referring to humanity then, right? Uh no. There's nothing. There's nothing there in the verse that actually says that. You, I think you do have one when it says son of man, and son of man is really uh, referring to humanity, right? When you see the term son of man, you're talking about human being. That's pretty much what it is. When you no, say like these son of man is referring to uh pretty much God, no? Like it's no, look at no, Daniel seven. No, no. If you, man, go, yeah. if you go through the, if you go through the Old Testament, uh angels and gods, Elohim, refer to men as son of man. So for example, there's angels and there's things that appear, and they'll say, Son of man, write these things down, or son of man, say this or that. You see this a lot throughout Jeremiah. You're going to see this Ezekiel. I think you believe you see it in Isaiah. So son of man just, just means human being because you're offspring of Adam. That's what son of man means. But in Daniel the title 7, used for Christ, the son of man comes from the ancient of days. Right. right? So we, the title uh, for the, Christ, the title for Christ is the son of man. It's specific. Oh, yes. yes, yes. So, 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 so when you say the son of man, you're talking about a specific one who's being done here. Like in John chapter 12, where they say, we have known from the law that the Messiah must be forever. Who is this? And you say that he must be lifted up. Who is this son of man? And when you see him on Mark 14, around 60 there about when Caiaphas, the high priest, asked the question. And he says, and you shall see the son of man coming in the clouds. This is referring back to the son of man theology in, in Hebrews 7, right? I mean, on, on Daniel 7, right? So the Son of Man is talking about a specific man and that this is God incarnate. And I think Thank uh, you so much. Thank Paul, you. And Paul wanted to say something, and then we'll check in with Random and see what he wanted to say. But I think Paul wanted to comment on this specifically. Paul, what's up? Uh-oh. Uh, Paul, if you're speaking, we don't hear anything at all. 
I think you may uh, may have to leave and come back or restart the app. Um, I saw you unmute, but we don't hear anything at all. Uh, while you figure that out, uh, Random, what's up, Random? I, I thought it was interesting that you all were talking about like childhood Jesus, because there's not really much known about that. Well, yeah, and that's why I think Jimmy said, you know, for um, a lot of it, we need to be silent because we don't know. So I think there's some logical assumptions that can be made. Like, you know, he had a pretty, probably pretty on par childhood with, uh, you know, with how babies grow and stature and are raised and stuff like that. There, I mean, there's no reason to think um, crazy things happened. Uh, but ultimately, we don't know. The Bible's silent. So, you know, did he ever get a sniffle or a cough? Or um, We don't know. So I think we kind of agree with you, Random. Yeah, I mean, we, well, I mean, we preface so pretty good by saying it's just conjecture because we don't know. Well, the issue is, like, I worked, at, I've worked at a preschool. I've worked with children a lot over the years, and <laughs> it is, it is one, it is, it, it's a double-edged sword for sure. Um, but um, uh, one of the issues that that kind of it confuses me is that, like, a lot of children. Uh, especially very young ones, engage in activities that people would consider sins if it wasn't a child engaging in that activity. So is it a sin when like a two-year-old runs around and grabs people's things and takes them? Is that stealing? Uh, there's, I, I want to say a blanket answer is yes, but you know, as, as biblically close as we can be, um, yeah, there are some passages which I, I'm always great at like sort of remembering, but never exactly. Um, we can look it up. I'm happy to. AI is a pretty good helper. But, um, you know, there are things that talk to Paul talks about, look, uh, where, you, there, there, where there is no law, there is no sin, because how are people know it's sin if they don't know? Uh, but then also he talks about, well, look, these these people that didn't have the law were instinctively doing what they knew was right because it was imprinted on their heart. So there's there's like some arguments that could be made kind of supporting either side. Um, I think context would kind of whittle out some of them quicker. But generally, um, it would be it would be like the intent, right? Like if I'm walking and I find $20 and I look around and there's no one around. There's no store, nothing I could, no one I could ask about, no one I could give it to. Um, I, I would not think that would be considered stealing because I mean, you, you know, it's not yours, you know, it's someone, but you're not on a property. You're in the middle of like the road or something like there's no discernible person around. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that would not be stealing. Um, if there was like someone around or a store or, you know, there's like a city center or something and you and you take that, I think that gets a lot sketchier because you're like, OK, clearly someone around here dropped it. But how am I ever going to find who um, if you see someone walking and twenty dollars falls right out their pocket and you take that, you absolutely know you're stealing. That is 100 percent a sin. Um, so uh, not to be confusing, but I think there's a gradation and it goes to in intent. Like if you just have no knowledge, but when we're talking about two-year-olds, like I'm trying to think like people have different answers, but like it, it did not take my kids long to know they were lying and to know um, they may not have known what sin was, but they knew they were disobeying, which by the way, it wasn't a requirement. People say, well, look, how did Adam before Adam and Eve eat the fruit? How did they know it was a uh, sin? They didn't have that knowledge, right? They didn't need to. They had one job and they knew they were disobeying God. They didn't need to know what sin was. They didn't need to know the word sin. All they needed to know is God told them don't do something, and they disobeyed and did it. So regardless of if they knew sin, what sin was, they 100% knew they were disobeying, and that was wrong. Um, same thing. So that, that's what I would say. 
So it, it does not take uh, my kids very long at all um, to be like, uh-uh, I didn't do that, uh-uh, uh-uh. And, you know, it's like the classic example, which is, is true. It's like a true example. You know, I'm like, where'd that cupcake go? Did you eat that? And it's like cupcake pink frosting all over the place. They're like shaking their head no. Why are they doing that? Like, they may not need to know exactly what sin is or disobedience to God, but they know it's wrong, and they're trying to cover it up. We need, need diapers, man. I, can I ask you a question? I, I watched a YouTube video yesterday <laughs> about this. There was a there was a couple uh, sleeping in the same bed with a baby, and uh, it, it seems that the baby is just a newborn, and um, the, the the dad is uh, snoring so loud, so the baby decided to slap the father's face. <laughs> have, have your uh, a baby uh, when when it was like recently born did that to you before? Because I hear some fathers talk about it. I really think that the baby has enough conscience to say to know if, if they if the baby wants to sleep or can't. Right? They can follow their conscience enough to just <laughs> slap the the father or slap, or try to uh, end the disruption, preventing them from sleeping. What do you think? Um, can you say that again? Not so, the whole thing, just like a 20 second recap. So basically, uh, do you think the uh, baby has enough conscience to, um, follow their own, uh, do you think the uh, baby can follow their own conscience, conscience? Because I, I see a baby when he's trying to sleep, uh, but can't because, uh, the dad is snoring. They slap the dad and try to end the disruption. I don't know. That that was a little kind of hard for me to follow. Here's the thing too, like with Jesus, uh, whatever the the fine details of whether or not this or that behavior in an infant constitutes sin, we know that Jesus was sinless. So we know abstractly that whatever Jesus did wasn't sin. Yeah, I, I do think that um, sin requires knowing it's sin. Is that correct or is that incorrect? Let's start there. Well, there's unintentional sins, so I mean, let's let's not forget that. There, like, this is a whole like like random. We're not we're not trying to be like difficult. I promise. But like, you could go to seminary and spend like a year on this question because you know they specifically had sacrifices for unintentional sins and for sins like they didn't even know about. So so I guess that would defeat or, you know. There would be something that, yes, some category of sins, you would need to know it. It would be intentional or willful sins. Other sins, like, no, we, we sin plenty and have no idea that we're sinning. Or, um, yeah, so, I mean, I guess there was an entire sacrificial category specifically for unintentional or unknown sins. Um, and does that mean, uh, so when we say unknown sins, is it unknown as in you weren't, like, thinking about it or, like, literally you did something sinful and it just, there was no way of knowing it was sinful because those are two different things. I agree. Would have to spend like five minutes Googling that unless Jimmy knows an answer. Jimmy off the top of your head. I know it was unintentional sins. Um, I'm not sure there are, I mean, I just have to think, I mean, here's another logic pill for you. Um, I, I just have to think there are unknown sins, right? So in my, in my day-to-day -day life, I'm sure I have like, caused offense to someone or done something that i don't know i would have to say you can unknowingly sin so um, but it okay, doesn't so matter. Let, let's let's work through like an example all of us do going over the speed limit right like you know 
I took my son, drove my son today. I went 65. I went up to like 77, right? Am I like consciously sinning? Am I like thinking about it? No, right? But that that is still like sin at the end of the day. So I'm thinking it more so means like that sort of thing versus like you doing some behavior and you just not knowing it's sin. I think there's... I think there's like two difficulties. So like one is the degree of consciousness of the sin, which is I think mostly what we're talking about right now. That's the question when you're uh, when you're breaking the speed limit. To what degree are you um, considering the, that fact, or to what degree are you aware of it at the time when you do it? Um, and I think that's where Nate's comment about the Levitical system. You only have to read a few chapters into Le- Leviticus to see sacrifices for um you know quote unquote unintentional sins but here's the difficulty right is that paul seems to treat knowledge in romans one as just one example um, knowledge of our responsibility to god as a precondition for being held accountable for being held culpable so it seems to me that um you have to go one of two ways you either have to say that because children at some level are not aware of that responsibility to God, there is an age of accountability. I go the opposite way. The other the other the alternative is to say, yeah, at some at some level, as soon as you're conceived, as soon as you have any knowledge whatsoever, you have some knowledge of God. And in virtue of that knowledge of God, you have you know the one to whom you're responsible. And so even when you do things that you're not thinking about at the time as sin, you could call that uh sin of negligence right you are neglecting the that which you know you know you have a a responsibility to god you know you're supposed to take life seriously to to hold the image of god in very high proportion so when you slap your father's face what is that well you were motivated in such a way as to not care you weren't giving the proper care to the situation even if you weren't thinking of it as sin at at the time you were neglecting your onus neglecting your duty so it's going to be a sin of neg- negligence in uh, in my book. And I I think like First Timothy one thirteen like let's not forget Paul, right? Like the book's full of answers. <laughs> um, let's see First Timothy one thirteen. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Uh, so you know take that for what you will. Ignorance and unbelief. So I so for me the the challenge with this whole thread and like maybe you all do want to say this but it's the equivalent of saying that there was no time ever Jesus said no to his mother even as like a 2 year old there is no time he ever said no to her so that is a bit much for me well, I mean, you would believe the I Bible. Guess, well, I mean, you would outright believe the Bible. Like, you would nuance, nuance it in some way, right? Because you would definitely believe the Bible when it says, you know, he who knew no sin. Correct. So would so then you would just say, well, he could say no, but it wasn't sin. Correct. It, yes, that's how that's how yeah, I interpret yeah. it. He wasn't he wasn't he wasn't old enough. He wasn't didn't have enough awareness for that to be considered sin. Correct. That's how I would say, frame that up. And I would also say, like, I don't know, in the interest of like 110 billion people who have ever been estimated to live on planet Earth, there's probably at least one or two that never said no to their parents growing up. I mean, they probably did plenty of sins later, but I mean, just, just in the odds 
Like, there's got to be a couple kids that are just like, yes, mama, yes, mama, and and just never, like, back talk to their parents. Like, maybe, I, I mean, just, that would be hard to believe that 110 billion people um, have definitely, like, you know, uh, went against their parents, um, just in the interest of odds. Anyways, it, but it doesn't matter. Like, practically speaking, none of that matters. All that matters is he didn't sin, and all that really matters is their salvation for anyone who does not currently have it by repenting, stop what you know is doing, you're doing is wrong, and believing in Jesus, asking him for eternal life. Congratulations. Didn't cost you any money. Didn't cost you any college tuition. It's just a belief and a willingness to follow Jesus and ask for eternal life. Just saying. I, I think the only reason it, it may matter is because of a relatability question, and we're just trying to see how far that relatability stretches. So I think that's really the conversation that we're having. I mean, I'm not having that one. I, I mean, I don't care, like, because practically it doesn't, for me, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I'm happy to just hand away that one away and be like, uh, yeah, for, for me, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't matter. That's like too small of potatoes. Like, I'm not going to die in any of those hills. Um, it's, but I mean, the closest you could get that we have recorded was, you know, Jesus in the temple, right? And his parents are kind of freaking out a little bit. They're like, why were you here? Where did you go? And he's like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? I mean, that's probably like the closest you can get, which I don't even think people would call like recorded uh, as close as you can get to like disobedience. But you clearly see it wasn't even disobedience because uh, he's like, well, you know, it wasn't wasn't intentional. They're like, where have you been? We've been, you know, what looking for you forever. Where have you been? He's like, well, I've been in my father's house. Um, and I don't I mean, we can even say that's like really close to mm -hmm. sin, but that's like probably the best case you could make. Yeah, but it, it it stems from a point that's already should have been made, right? Uh, Joseph and Mary were both visited by the angel of the Lord and told specifically about this child and what will happen with him and who he is, right? This is why Mary is blessed among women. She knew who this child is, right? It seems that in their in their worrying about him, they kind of fell on the Peter moment that you see in Matthew 16, where yeah. he says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then after he blesses, says, and now the son of man must be lifted up. And Peter will turn around and says, no, not so. And he says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because the doubt uh, comes after knowing what the truth is. And you see this with John in Matthew 11. Uh, you see this with uh, Peter several times. Uh, you see this with uh, Philip, right? Uh, or Thomas, rather. in uh, uh, Philip as well, right? So Philip, in the sense that in John 14, where he says, just tell us plainly, show us the Father, which is a similar question that the Jews ask. It says, tell us plainly, are you the Messiah? So it, everybody is, is actually, believe it or not, guilty of not only seeing the works of God, but also having doubt afterward. And you can also see this at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, 18, um, 17, rather, sorry about that. And they came and worshiped Jesus, but some, did, but some doubted, but some doubted. Uh, so, so it's that degree of doubt that I see going on when they caught the the child uh, teaching in uh, synagogue. That's a good point. Uh, welcome, Chris. Were you late today because um, you had to spend time with your with your wife getting home, or because you were working extra hard on your Lilith dis dissertation that you will now present? So. The spirit of Lilith is on Jimmy, and so that's all you have to know with that haircut. That's that's how <laughs> that goes. So uh, yeah, no. Um, 
No, my lovely wife returned from England yesterday afternoon. And Does she have an accent now and a penchant for crumpets and tea? She already had a penchant for tea, for sure. Like, I mean, this lady's favorite thing in the world is Jane Austen. So, you know, <laughs> it's already like a thing around my house. She but, did 20,000 um, Leagues Under the Sea, right? Was that Jane Austen? Or no? It, yes? Seriously? No. I don't know, I, man. I don't know. I was trying. I was bro. trying. Have you met women? Maybe not. No. I don't know. <laughs> what what is a woman, so. Chris? What is a woman? Yeah, exactly. Like, Jane, I, I just Jane don't Austen? even know. No, what, what, okay, what did, she, right what did she do? What did she write? What was it? Chris, so she, she famously movie. wrote Pride and Prejudice, not okay, Pride and okay. Prejudice and Zombies, like which what you might be familiar with, Come but on, Pride and Prejudice. Mr. Darcy, you know. Okay. okay. I can literally quote lines from that because it's like embodied here. I should just call my my wife by her last name. Anyway, so that's apparently what they did back then. Tell Um, us about Mr. Bingsley. Exactly, Jimmy. (laughs) So, yeah, so uh, anyway. Um, and then we had a lovely breakfast this morning because she's still feeling very jet lagged. So my job is to keep her awake for the next 12 hours. Or just get an extra, extra sleep and just keep her asleep for on the other side for an extra like eight hours. Oh, Dippity's here. Dippity. Jane Austen. Yes or no? Yes. Yeah. There, there you go. Like clockwork. And don't even get me started on me and my tea. Mm-hmm. You're, you and your hibiscus tea, which I bought some at the uh, Bible yep. Museum for my wife. Did you? Yeah. Uh, hey, Randa, remember when you asked a question like two years ago? Um, and then everyone talked. Hey, and everyone's back having to you. fun. Did that answer your question, Random, about the, uh, the uh, you know, can a two-year-old sin that um, you got like a thousand answers for? Yes, the thousand answers was very conclusive. Bro, Okay. I worked with two-year-olds for 15 years in church every week and i've saw i don't know how many two-year-olds like i had classes of 14 that rotated every like few months so you guys do the math i haven't done it it's probably in the thousands of two-year-olds they're all tiny little vipers and diapers (laughs) little sinners chris when you move into the uk I mean, if my wife had anything to say about it, yes, if my wife had anything to say about it, like next week, although she had to walk all the way to Oxford from some godforsaken car park, you know, a thousand miles away, because apparently you can't drive cars into Oxford without getting fined for global warming, (laughs) which I'm sure Nate would find really great. Apparently in London, they support saving the environment in the most irrational way possible that never actually helps. As a matter of um, um, arms control, it's not gun control anymore. They had people turning their knives uh, in London, at, in like you know um, cans that were empty. All of them were em- like empty. They filled up by the evening. They were empty by the morning. So yeah, so I, she's got all the stories, but she got to go to C.S. Lewis's house and had a full tour with that, and that was really cool. That was one of her favorite things, and. She spent lots. She went to Jane Austen's house three times. So, you know, first Ooh, she, she went to Oxford. You know, um, oh, what's the dude's name? Uh, uh, there's an o- Oxford Christian Center for Apologetics. And um, uh, what's his dude's name? Um, Lennox, John Lennox. John Lennox. 
he's one of the chairmen for that. Mm. Yeah, I know John Lennox. Yeah, I mean, I don't know him personally, but I've read some stuff from him. He's good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, she loved Oxford, and um, so her cousin is the mayor of Petersfield, which is like a little town. I don't know where the heck it is. I don't know anything about English geography. It's all just one big fat island to me. At any rate, so uh, and then they went to Chit. That's cool. Yeah, her cousin's the mayor. So like, they didn't have a full tour of the kilns, which is C.S. Lewis's residence, and he like pulled rank. So like, I guess people are like still about the aristocracy there, and so he was like, "Hi, uh, this is." Uh, I'm the you know the dude's name and you know I'm mayor of uh, Petersfield and my cousin is here to see the kilns and can we arrange a tour and they're like well and then they're like yes okay <laughs> so <laughs> that's cool man that's cool <laughs> well welcome Tippy it's been some time since I've seen uh, you around these parts hey good morning what's been going on you ever get birds jokes Tippy I just thought of that oh because of the birds. Yeah. People always make a comment about the birds. Sorry. It's, I just it's, thought of it now. It I've like known you for like a with year. The lady, in, the lady in Home Alone 2 with the What's pigeons. that? No, the birds, man. Like the Alfred Hitchcock movie. I'm saying it's reminding me of the Home Alone 2 with the lady in the park with all the pigeons on her. I'm just Anyway, Tippy, how's it going? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, the birds. I know the birds. I, I yes, I've seen the birds. Scary birds. We're yeah. gonna have to do a whole cultural catch up with you, like Clockwork Orange style. I've I feel seen like this the is birds. I have seen like what? I have seen the Alfred Hitchcock movie, The Birds, and like The Birds too. Lands in like yes, I'm familiar with it. I was making an independent thought. Hey, I've got it. Um, you can choose, Chris. Um, since I'm apparently the new, newest Calvinist. Um, do you prefer uh, Calvinian or Calvinian? I like Calvinian. That's pretty good. Is that what Paul? Kind of has like, kind of has like Dracula vibes. Calvinian. I don't know. I don't know. Let's let Jimmy choose or Satan. <laughs> Same thing. Yes. Man named Satan. Please choose the uh, religious name for us. I've got to take your free will. <laughs> uh, Tippy, were you saying something? No. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm getting ready to leave my house soon. Oh. It's I have just... a dentist appointment soon. I have the gym soon. And I was reading Lamenta Lamentations and going into the book of Ezekiel next. So, just a little light reading. Well, I, I'm just going through. I'm reading the Bible from front to back again. It's been a while since I've done that, so I'm just, you know, just reading. <laughs> Let's see. Paul, is your mic fixed? You want to give it a shot? Uh, Jimmy. Hey, Nate. Hey, what's up? Hi. How's life? Uh, not a lot. What's up with you? Uh, you know, it's good. How's See, life um, for a long time. I know. Um, same old. Not much has changed. I mean, I guess my vipers and diapers have grown older. <laughs> yeah. Oh, do you have any? Oh, wait, I can't ask you. Um, okay, I'll ask you anyway. 
Um, I was going to say like any, any, like, um, any like religious or Christian type books you read as, as like a child or like a 10, 11 year old that you would recommend. But then I realized that you're probably going to recommend something like really, really difficult. My kids a big, I don't want to read anymore. <laughs> this is so hard. Uh, so actually I might, um, there's a publisher called Pathway. It's like the Amish and Mennonite publisher. And they have like a graded set of readers that's, uh, you know, it's sort of stories for kids, but they're all kind of themed about things like, you know, forgiveness and loving people around you and things like that. And it's a graded set of readers, right? So there's like one for each grade and it starts out pretty simple. And then in like 12th grade, it's like, the martyr's mirror straight up right <laughs> um <laughs> uh but but anyway i had those as a kid and really i don't know it's one of those things where it's hard to say how influential they were because as a kid you're not really paying attention to that but if i look back on a lot of the things that i sort of take as a bedrock for spiritual formation there's i don't know there it was definitely somewhat influential well, awesome. Although, you know, if your kids are reading Captain Underpants, I don't know that they're going to find these super enthralling. <laughs> well, apparently <clears throat> their their friend uh, gave one of them the Dogman books, and I'm just like, I don't know. Um, anyways, so that interested them in reading the younger one. Uh, the older one hates it. Um, I mean, my kids chip off the old block. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so then like the I'll kids, send, like, I'll get, I'll send you a link, uh, like in the discord server. Okay. Awesome. And, uh, yeah. Have you heard of the, the wing feather tales? Anyone? Apparently it's like Christian fiction. I don't even wing mm -hmm. feather saga or wing feather tales. No. Okay. Yeah, well, I've heard of Narnia. Yeah. Narnia oh. is like what I remember. Oh, what Chris? Oh yeah. Give them Narnia too, but like, yeah, wing feathers. They've already read those. Wing, okay. Apparently, there's some website like someone was telling about, and, and they told me everything but the website. Um, how you can put in books, and it'll like kind of give you. Um, I don't know if it's like a Christian website, um, where it like gives you like a, uh, you know, like this is good for your soul level, or like this is evil and bad, or or like what kind of site it was, but it was kind of like a a review like that. Um, I, I guess to say how much of. I don't know. Not not like a rating system for like, yes, this is well written and they use a, this is a good storyline, but more so like on the, uh, you know, this is good for your soul type level. Anyway. Oh, by the way, Nate, um, part of the pressure campaign right now, we need a new pressure campaign is for uh, Jimmy and his wife to start having kids. So get on that. You know her. I know Jimmy. So we're just going to keep pressuring them until they give in. Go forth and multiply. <laughs> yeah, pagans okay. breaking you, the creation. You want to know something that's actually hilarious? So apparently Wikipedia has a requirement for languages that you have to have native speakers of a language before they'll make a like a Wikipedia for it, a separate one. And somebody was talking about how they won't let ancient Greek have its own Wikipedia site because there are no native speakers technically it's like a dead language 
But all the other dead languages like Latin and Old English and stuff were grandfathered in, so they exist, but just nobody ever made an ancient Greek one. And now they've changed the policy. So I was like, haha, I must have a child and raise it speaking ancient Greek so that we can say, look, there's at least one native speaker. Well, Jimmy said you were learning Greek, and I was wondering, is is it, I, I'm like, well, is this so she can like, you know, order Greek food or be a Bible scholar translator? And, and I was thinking, wait, this is so she can get an ancient Greek Wikipedia page. No, that's what the child is for. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. <laughs> I thought Wikipedia right. had an entry for coining Greek. What was the question? I thought it had an uh, entry for coining Greek. Like Alexandrian Greek? Well, it's not that different. I mean, no, he, he doesn't know what you're studying in the contract. Oh, uh, ancient Greek includes Koine Greek. Koine Greek is just a subset of ancient Greek. Uh, right. I was saying that they have a article for that on Wikipedia. Yeah, just to tell well, you. Well, they have an article for it, but they don't have their own site. Uh, you know, like there's a French Wikipedia that has all the articles in French. I see. I see. There's no ancient Greek one. So if you can speak uh, ancient Greek, does that mean you can have a conversation with, like, if you just, like, went to Greece, you could have a conversation with someone, or it would be so different that it's basically another language, or you could, everyone could understand each other? Uh, so from what I've heard, it's, <clears throat> like going and talking like Shakespeare in America, modern in like New York. Like if everybody talked really, really slowly and carefully, they could understand each other to some percentage. But it's not. It's not like you'd fluently understand each other. How far along are you, and how long do you? How, 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 yeah. How far along are you? <laughs> How far along are we, Jimmy? Oh my goodness. Um, I've in, in, the, about... in the multiplying or Greek? <laughs> I've been studying for about a year and a half, so I'm not super far along, but you know, I can make a so decent can you, pass at stuff. Well, can you, uh, yeah, can you say like what? A, a, are you learning like, so you can have like full sentences or like uh, express thoughts or like, what do you, can you give us an example of whatever it is you're studying? Like, to be able to say full sentences or ask directions or express thoughts, can you uh, lay out some ancient Greek for us? Uh, I mean, <laughs> maybe say how great Nate is in ancient Greek, just just saying, just giving you some thoughts. Sure. <laughs> Would it be like oh, Nate, Natos or, or oh, what? Nate. How, how glorious he, is Nate? <laughs> you're you're a so, great and very masculine. <laughs> oh great, so you know how to lie in ancient Greek. Well well basically the word for like awesome is just masculine. <laughs> so so is there a lot of um like reading like uh, ancient Greek uh, material that you can you can read or um you you um, I don't know, because speaking is different than reading, so are, are you focusing on reading just as much as speaking, or, or like, I don't even know the right questions to ask. Ask the questions and then answer them for us. What are the questions <laughs> we want to ask you, and then provide the answers? In yeah, ancient so Greek. The, 
Well, but then you wouldn't understand me. So what would be the point of that? Uh, so the main thing, of course, is like, I want to read the Bible. But to read the Bible, you kind of also have to know, like, how the language was used in the culture of the Bible and in other places, right? So the attic was sort of the original. And then when it spread and was used as kind of like the common language around, that was Koine, but everybody still looked back at Plato as like ideal Greek. So most of the people speaking Koine, if they wrote, they used the literary register, which was very atticized. So things like Luke, right? Luke and Acts are written in a much higher register than, I don't know, like first John. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's the, the main thing, of course, is I want to read the Bible. So that's something I do pretty regularly, right, to pick up that. Because there's a lot of sort of specialized vocabulary in the Bible. Uh, but then, you know, there's there's a bunch of other stuff. There's Lucian. He's a late late writer who wrote a bunch of stuff in a attic register, like, stories. He actually wrote the first science fiction uh, there's, you know, the Greek plays, Plato and stuff. I've read some of that, but it's kind of annoying because uh, it's just, you know, <laughs> let's talk about what it means to be a friend. All right, let's go on with this till we're all sick of hearing ourselves talk. Um, you need uh, to start a renaissance. I'm not, re I'm not really interested in the plays super much. I want to read Josephus. That's That's what I think would be cool. But yeah, Herodotus, there's, there's a lot of people, a lot, a lot of different texts that are pretty interesting, a lot of different subjects. So. I think you need to bring back ancient Greek and uh, reintroduce it and, and bring it back to prominence. Uh, there are people who are doing exactly that. So. Yeah, you should, you should encourage Jimmy to speak ancient Greek. It's what you should it's the do. the ugliest language in the universe. Don't do it. We'll all be uh, from I think our new mission He's is to very teach you some Greek love poetry, and then you can. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is that like like stuff about like Aphrodite's arrow of love or some stuff like that? All right, you got a year to study That's before next Greek. Valentine's Day, Jimmy. This stuff better be better yeah. be on par. Um, what, well, Michael? Be like, well, uh, memorizing Canterbury Tales, except. <laughs> Uh, what's up, Michael? We're talking to our uh, catching up with Amy and Jimmy, our friends oh. long ago, who apparently are becoming ancient Greek speakers. One reluctantly, one happily. Interesting. Yeah, I think um, uh, look up uh, uh, Amy. Look up uh, Josh Bowen. I believe in his uh, uh, in his in his uh, when he's doing his masters. I think he has. I think he has six years of uh, of of Greek and Hebrew. So he could maybe help you out with some stuff to look at or, or stuff like that. Um, but Nate, Nate, I'm a little bit light. Can you can you spare about three hundred and sixty five million dollars? Um, will you take a check if you never cash it? Sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm just. Uh, you know, and but I. I want to. What I. What I need. What the first of like first and foremost, even more than that, is um, two hundred ninety nine dollars, so I can buy a pair of gaudy Trump sneakers. Um, that would be great. Is that um, how much they are in Canada price? No, no, then no, no, you need to do the conversion. So two ninety nine American. So I need two, I need uh, $2,500 Canadian. Um, that's three ninety nine. Yeah. Um, but no, it's like, 
the it's just his it's it's just hysterical. I'm I'm beaming from ear to ear over the revelations of the weekend. Um, hey, did you know that the election is November twenty seventh? Because that's what Trump told a um, a rally in uh, Michigan where he was. He said, "Don't go out. Don't forget to vote." November 27th. Um, And this is at the same speech where he accused Biden of his cognitive impairments. And then he and then he tries to sell sneakers as a grift to make up for his three hundred and sixty five million dollar judgment, which is hysterical because he he can't he can't get rid of that any like in any way, shape or form. It's also it's a it's a state charge. So even if he becomes president, there's nothing he can do about it. It can't be appealed to the Supreme Court. It's hysterical. I am loving this. But but the, on the plus side, he's got Sinatra billions of with... dollars. So he should just be able to write a check, right? Okay. Uh, well, I want to get back to Amy because she, she stops in so rarely. Um, I, I want to make the most of that. Um, and let's, okay, let's, let's recap your heresies. Okay. So one, when Ye doesn't sell sneakers for $1,000, that's cool um, and entrepreneurial. When Trump does it, that's a, a grift. I mean, it would be a grift, I guess, if he didn't give you the sneakers. Um, I mean, they're a little gaudy. They, they look awesome, but uh, I don't think I could pull them off. They're a little too gaudy for me. But um, yeah, it's like $3.99 US dollars. Um, so um, I would say not a grift. I mean, you know, it's a fundraiser. It's a campaign. That's what people do. Um, the $365 million, the Supreme Court can take up, what, anything they want. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not completely clear on Supreme Court and, uh, and states' rights or whatever, but I'm pretty sure uh, the Supreme Court can take up whatever case they want. Um, fact check me on that. Um, not 100%, but like 90%. Um, and also the 365, it is disgusting and laughable. You've got people telling him, um, you know, like the president of the Deutsche Bank was like, no, we gave him like, we gave him like the best interest rates because we were competing for his business. He didn't defraud anyone. We made tens of millions of dollars. And the judges is like, oh, we're not like strike that from the record. We're not listening to any of that. It's like, but it was great. We all wanted his business. He was amazing. So you've got the people who would be the victims who are singing his praises. And this guy that looks like a psychopathic golem with weird fuzzy hair is, is it's like, I mean, maybe it's like a, like a bad Muppet come to life. Um, he, he looks possessed. Like, have you seen the clip where Trump's right there and the camera's there and he's like giving a thumbs up and rolling his eyes. They're like going side to side. The guy looks possessed. Um, if anything is going to make you believe in demons, Michael, that guy should. Um, and it's it's these are all summary judgments. The Eugene Carroll, all of us, on like some you know BS, like oh, it's by default uh, because you know he didn't give us this uh, this discovery that can't that doesn't exist, and it doesn't exist, so he didn't present it. Therefore, it's a summary judgment. Um, I'm just going to unilaterally decide that you are guilty, and then just tell the uh, you know tell people you are guilty. And then we're just going to arbitrarily assign numbers to how guilty you are. It is absurd. And uh, anyways, that's all I got to say. But real quick, Amy, let's uh, finish up with you. And um, I do have a dentist appointment not too long. Amy, Jimmy, are you guys there? She she had to go to work, bro. Oh, what'd she do for work? What field? She's a data analyst. Oh, yeah, you said that. Oh, well, tell her it's good to catch up with her whenever uh, she gets home or whatever. Um, Would anyone like to... uh, uh, defend Michael or uh, crucify him. Stand in line. <laughs> I, did you see? Did you see that there's uh, going to be some kind of trucker revolt? I did, and I. Oh my gosh! I that that may be the greatest idea. 
I don't know if Canada was first um, because one of the truckers doing this said that they did it a few years ago, which I think predated the Canada trucker blockade or whatever in Colorado because that judge, um, you know, there's like a manslaughter case where like a, a trucker uh, did, I forget what happened. Like he, he, his brakes went out or slid on an icy road and he's piled into a car and killed someone. And the judge gave him like 110 years in prison. And it was just so ridiculous that all the truckers like stopped up Colorado. And uh, after a short time, the judge is like, okay, okay, we'll just do 10. Um, Cause that was absurd. So I think that predated the, uh, the Canada thing. Otherwise I was going to say that's like the greatest thing Canada's ever gave to us. Um, but yeah, I hope that happens. And it's like these people think they're so insulated in a bubble. They're like, oh, we don't need you truckers, blah, blah, blah. Never come to New York. We don't need trucks. We're still going to go to the grocery store and buy food because food comes from the grocery store, not from trucks. It's like, I don't even know. Like, if there's anything, Michael, you have to agree on de-evolution. We are not enlightened. We are not getting elevated. We are not evolving. We are devolving at an alarming pace. And if someone takes that case, yes, de-evolution is legit. <laughs> yes, I did see the trucker thing. Oh, where'd Michael go? I mean, dude, if if New York City starts in on mass starvation, that would be that'd be something else. Michael, did you swipe left? I'm yeah, I did. I, I, I swiped the, the wrong way. I was trying to tap and I swiped. But no, it's interesting. Like, there's there is no intelligent argument against. Like, there's a there's a saying that uh, I, have a, I have a friend who does long haul trucking, and there's a saying that gets used, and it's absolutely true. And the saying is, if you bought it, a truck brought it. Um, and like, you know, the, the transportation industry is, is, is critical, a uh, critical part of our infrastructure. Um, so no, there's, there's no intelligent argument against that. I don't think were you, I hope you weren't hoping, I hope you weren't, uh, counting on me arguing that point. No, I thought, I thought we'd, we would agree on that. Cause I mean, you know, you're, we're on very, very polar opposite political sides, but we, we agree usually on, um, on areas of just like overwhelming common sense that. Um, transcends political uh, lines where I'm right, you're wrong. <clears throat> but uh, we, we usually agree on glaring common sense issues. Yeah, so um, my understanding, and, and I've gotten this mostly from like a little bit that I read online, but it, like in the same way that, so like um, if, uh, yeah, no, like my understanding is the Supreme Court can't take this up. Because it's not a because it's not a federal case and because it's nothing constitutionally to be decided. Um, the the reason why they're looking at the Colorado case or they looked at the Colorado case and will likely rule in Trump's favor um, is because it's a constitutional issue. In the same way, if Trump is convicted in Georgia, for example, the Supreme Court can't touch it. It's a state case, um, and and there's nothing constitutional and. Uh, even if he's president, he can't pardon himself for that because it's a state charge. So um, that seems so, to be the conventional quick... legal wisdom, but that is being challenged right now because these are seen not as state cases, but as political attacks on the president. Um, there, there is a former, lot of jurisprudence. There is a lot of jur jurisprudence out there to say that the Supreme Court could take it up and vacate state courts. Um, based on basically uh, equal protection on the 14th Amendment. Yeah, so from uscourts.gov and caselaw.findlaw.com, uh, yeah, it seems that um, kind of what you and Michael were saying, uh, yeah, the Supreme Court can take up state cases, but with limitations. Um, 
So let's see. It talks about how state right, rights are generally respected. But just like Colorado, you know, if these are seen as like a, having national implications, which this is. It doesn't matter if you want to say he's a former president. He is a current uh, current front runner. Um, there is no other front runner for the opposing party. So, I mean, it is clearly of, of national national interest. Um, so this seems to be 100 percent exactly the type of things that Supreme Courts could take from cases. Um, if Trump was not a candidate um, or was even like even if he was like a minor, like third or fourth or fifth place candidate, um, if he was still a candidate for the presidency in 2024, um, that it seems that the Supreme Court could easily take it up because there's national implications. Um, but especially and if he wasn't a candidate at all, then it seems like, no, you'd have a, a very difficult time for the Supreme Court to take that because of states laws or states rights um, or respective state laws or whatever I said. Um, but since he is overwhelming, uh, the, the overwhelming front runner for the opposing party, 100% this is, this is like, has Supreme Court, please take this case written all over it uh, from uscourts.gov. Yeah, I, I, I personally don't think they will. This, the same as like, um, like, I think that it, it's, pro it's probably going to be a blow. It's going to be eight to one or nine to zero that they will override Colorado's decision to remove from the ballot. I think that it's going to be overwhelming um, in Trump's favor. But I don't think they're going to touch the presidential immunity with a 10-foot pole. I don't even think they'll hear it. That, that's my, my prediction is I don't, even think they'll I don't even think they'll take it up. Yeah, I mean, uh, look, I mean, the, the, here's, the, here's the reality of it is it's already causing a constitutional crisis, right? And... So I think they might take it up, but make it extremely narrow um, because, I mean, at that point, people are just turning guns on each other, right? Like, I mean, at that point, it's like, well, if they come to get Trump to put him into state prison after he gets elected president, what is the Secret Service going to do? Are they going to turn their guns on the, the state cops and they're going to shoot it out? Like... I mean, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about, you know, we're talking about people monkeying with the system to the point where, like, the only way to resolve it is with violence. Like, no, that's just not going to happen. And I think that the Supreme Court will take it up to try to avoid that constitutional crisis. And they'll just swat down all of these guys. And if there were any justice in the world, they would take every one of these prosecutors that are prosecuting clearly political cases and charge them with federal crimes um, and put them in prison for the rest of their lives. And Joanna did come up, well, Joanna did come up probably with the religious question, so we'll, we'll put a pin in this. Michael, but did you say, um, I guess you can respond to this, but then I want to get to Joanna and see what she has to say. But uh, Michael, um, did you notice on the other, uh, on the lower side of our country, um, the testimony from uh, one Fonnie Willis and Nathan Wade, which as much uh, mirth and fervor as, as what you're talking about gave you, uh, before now we're poo-pooing all over it. Did you notice her testimony and his testimony on the stand? Oh my gosh. It was like popcorn and 3D glasses. They did such a disservice to them, implicated themselves in multiple felonies, and showed how dis incredibly unqualified they are to prosecute a flea. Um, if well, you want to yeah. expound, go ahead. But um, yeah, quickly. And we'll yeah, I, I've, I've only got a minute or so anyway. But yeah, what I would say is... I. 
I, I did watch portions of it. I couldn't watch all of it. I did watch portions of it. And yeah, I don't think they did either themselves any favors. And But that also doesn't matter. Because even if they are disqualified from prosecuting, that wouldn't mean, oh, now you have to dismiss the charges. That just means you bring somebody else in. Yeah, sure. Yeah. It was just fun. But no, it was I, hilarious. I, yeah, I think I agree. Like, particularly, I think, I think Funny Willis did a better job than Nathan Wade. Um, but I don't think Funny Willis did a great job. Uh, and that's, and that's my, like, you know, my completely, uh, non-legal opinion, but that's my, my thought of it anyway. But anyway, uh, I got to go for now and we'll probably. All right. Take care, Michael. Good to see you. Oh, and I forgot, uh, right before he's a Joanna, I I forgot the other thing. Um, like Letitia James, right. The prosecutor in the New York thing, um, her whole platform was running on getting Donald Trump. And as you see how Hochul, the governor had to come out, um, because all the people are freaking out and like all the businesses are like, you know, even more of them are like threatening to leave and taking off and, she had to do like a public service announcement. It's like, no, no, guys, your business is safe. You're safe. Uh, we, we were just after Trump. Like, you're not like Trump. Like, we, we were only after a, a Trump. Like, you guys are fine. Don't leave us. Don't leave us. I'm like, oh, my gosh, how bad is that? Like, you have to, like, like try to entice people to stay by, by admitting, no, no, we were only going after one private citizen. Um, you guys are safe. Are you? Until you do something, like, to get on the wrong side of the government anyways. Um, Joanna. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. Thank you. Um, so let's switch gears because I can't talk about the world, <laughs> as I explained to you before, or the things in the world like governments. But I have something exciting. The woman. I would like to know um, the there's, there's, uh, the woman is appears several times in the Bible. First, it appears in Genesis 3.15, the first prophecy, right? The woman, I will put hatred between you and the woman, your seed, her seed. And then, of course, in the famous Revelation, we have the woman uh, who sits on the many waters. We have the woman who gives birth to a son, a male. I know it's a lot for now, but I was thinking of maybe having a class or like a room on it this weekend, if anyone wants to, or what you guys think, is it a big deal? This woman, is it something like we need to know about? Uh, well, the, the first thing, um, I don't know the answer to this question I'm about to ask. Maybe Chris or someone else does. Is the woman every time it's mentioned in the Bible in this prophetic sense, always talking about the exact same woman? I, I don't know how many instances it is mentioned in the Bible. Um, does anyone happen to know off the top of their head if every time, like, the woman, like, in the context, Joanne is mentioning it, is always about the same reference? Every, um, everyone that, that she brought up was a different woman in a different context. Um, can you comment on that? Mm, let's see how that goes. What's up? Yeah, so um, so the uh, so in Genesis 3.15, where it speaks about, about the woman, so... The term of uh, the woman, or in Hebrew would be Ha'isha, is mentioned besides for that, like about seven times in Genesis chapter three. And in every single instance, it's talking about Eve, because Eve isn't, isn't named um, in that chapter until like verse 20. So every single time, every single mention of that before verse 20, when it says the woman, it refers to Eve. So I'm just like, not sure like why. Uh, verse 15 would say he's talking about a different woman than all the other times in that chapter. 
here's a here's a simpler version of the same kind of argument, right? Like, why, in the context of the story of the first three chapters of Genesis, would it be talking about some other woman anyway? Right? Like, if it fits the confines of the of the story to refer to the story's actors, and the woman there is Eve. Uh, well, Joanna, did that answer some parts of your question? Uh, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. it. It's a lot, but I would love to talk about it again because I've done a lot of research and cross-references, and it's a funny thing. I have one more question. Sure, Are sure. all the Bibles cross-references the same? Because the King James in the New Testament will take me back you know, to an Old Testament scripture, but the NIV will take me back to a different scripture in the Tanakh. So, what did anyone have any advice on cross references? So, cross references are, they're going to be different based on who you're talking to, right? So, they're not always going to be the same. So, different translations are going to have different cross references. And he gets a call. <clears throat> Let's see if it's an important call. Chris, you there? That's okay, Nate. Um, I just jumped in with all of this, but I want to thank you for always having a room and for allowing me to have these questions because <laughs> uh, they really mean a lot to me. And I know at the end of the day, as long as you love Jesus and you're okay, that's all that really matters. But you know me, I have to like get into the fine print sometimes. So thank you for letting me do that here. Oh, it sounds like Chris is back. You want to finish your thought, Chris? Cross-West references, depending on, I, I saw him on mute. Anyway, yeah, different translations are going to have different cross-references depending yeah. on who's doing the translation. Yeah, and, and depending on what cross-references cross they're using, there's a whole set of different cross-references that people would tend to use. So it depends on, depends on who the translators are, who the committee is, et cetera, et cetera. Thank you. Yeah, Joanna, I was Thanks. always happy when you're here. Okay, thank you. Let's see. Anyone else have anything else? We've covered quite the – man, these last two days have been pretty – packed with uh, diverse and different topics. Until right now. <laughs> well, Israel, you, know, you invite the Calvinists yep. here and, like, you know, things start happening, man. It's great. Everybody's here. Everybody's asking good questions. You know, those Calvinists, man. Well, I'm glad right that you're Calvinist, you introducing a new topic. Has yeah, Amy, sure. Amy convinced you that you're a Calvinist now? Is that what I missed earlier? I'm just going to adopt it, and when people want to ask me about my new Calvinism, I'm just going to spit out straight-up Arminianism and be like, yep, that's Calvinism. I'm a Calvinian. I mean, that's <laughs> what Malak does. So, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, here you are. You're not bringing up new topics. I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk about all kinds of stuff. Then. What, do you, what do you got, man? I mean, like, what do you what do you what do you want to do? What do you want to do? Like, we can talk about um, <laughs> talk about problem of evil. We can talk about like you know, uh, June was in the chat talking about some kind of some kind of historical stuff with I don't know, just like stuff. 
not sure what was going on with there. I, I wasn't sure if June actually believed in late dates for Mark or, you know, based on some kind of nonsense where it's like, well, Jesus couldn't possibly have predicted the future. So therefore Mark has to be written late because, you know, he's referring to 70 AD. And so same thing for Matthew. I mean, that's the same nonsense that they spin for Daniel, right? They're just like, Daniel had to have been written around, you know, 150 BCE because, you know, no one could possibly be that accurate in their prophecies. It had to be added by a later editor because that would require us to believe in the supernatural and and we sniff the loins of Darwin and we're not going to believe in any of that supernatural mumbo-jumbo for a book of the Bible. <laughs> so sniff the loins of Darwin? <laughs> Puffing deeply from the loins of Darwin. Mr. Marcus, what's up, Marcus? Good morning, guys. I asked for a topic. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> no, no. What's just, up, Marcus? I was, I was wondering what accent um, Chris is doing there. <laughs> wait, wait, Chris, do you think my arguments sound like, Nate, do you think so? Because I was just uh, debating random. I was arguing that the vast majority of secular scholars and their behemoths that uh, the Gospels are written at, at SNDAD or after because uh, it is impossible for Jesus to write uh, events in AD with great detail before AD. It, there, it has to be written at CNDC. Like for me, I think this clearly shows that the, the cognitive distance of these people. They had no evidence. They're just saying it's humanly impossible to write future events in great detail. So that's why they say it's written after. Well, consider the source. The yeah, they, they have to have it that way. So, I mean, you know, that, that's their bias showing. Like it has to be that way. Like if they don't put any stock in, you know, spiritual stuff or, you know, divine revelation or anything, then, I mean... They they can't uh, date it before that. Meanwhile, I'm convinced that you know the Gospels have to be uh, you know concluded before 70 A.D., which I understand may be on the earlier side than some like. But I just can't believe that all these scriptures um, would be written after 70 A.D. and not one of them would have a reference to you know Nero and Jerusalem's destruction. So I mean, it just seems implausible. Uh, that that we would have all these uh, you know scriptures and writings after 70 AD, and there wouldn't be one mention about like one of the greatest events taking place in that region, uh, just like a few years before. So um, I am convinced that they have to be written before 70 AD. But for me, the very fact that secular scholars would die on the hill that is written after, for me, clearly shows. That there's something with the Bible there. They're tr clearly troubled because if they decided to affirm that it was written before 70 AD, then clearly there has to be some supernatural element according to their position, right? That's why they're trying to deny it because they're secular. Do you get what I'm trying to say, Nate? Because they're terrified of the I fact. get it and I agree. I 100% think that's the reason. Yeah, they're 100%. terrified. And this so, is what I was what I'm trying to tell to random random. These secular scholars are terrified to affirm it because the Bible writes these events in the future with such precision. They're so scared. for clarity. Oh, class. Retard alert. Word, Retard alert, class. Word, 
the for clarity, the word secular in secular scholars does not mean that they are not Christians. Yes, it does. Well, well, that means aside from Chris, it doesn't mean that they're not Christians. What I mean, secular, I mean, is that that our our scholars that reject Christianity or love Christianity. That's what I mean. That is that is not what secular means. But it's not what secular means in that context. You must be random here. I get to define who's a Christian. Me, I define as a Christian. Not Jesus, Chris. Not you, random. That's my job. But, I am the one who calls out what's Christian, what's not. Okay, so settle down, Lord. Here. Settle down, Lord Chris. Okay, if secular just means they're not taking any like spiritual woo-woo into the equation, even if they believe it, um, that's what we'd expect, right? Like you would only expect someone who uh, is a Christian who believes in the spiritual supernatural revelation, even if even if it's not from the God of the Bible. Like you know, take take any other religion or any other like philosophy that believes in some sort of spiritual intuition or magic or anything that's not empirical, right? So if we're saying secular means you can't include anything like that, and you have to set that aside because that's your bias, well, then, of course, you may conclude that that's the answer. But you're missing out an entire chunk. Like all of us, like, you know, almost 2 billion Christians specifically claim special, like, you know, divine revelation from God in prophecies in the Bible in these predictions of Jesus, all these things. So it's like, well, hey, you have to tell me um, about this subject, but your like your biggest evidence, you can't use that. Now go ahead, make your case. So I mean, regardless of if these people are claiming to be Christians or believers or faith-filled or not or atheists or whatever, that's irrelevant because if they're intentionally setting out like you know their their belief or lack thereof that God can divinely inspire and predict future events through prophecies or foretelling. Well, sure. That makes sense. But it's specifically because we think that is possible that, and okay, no, I will challenge that. I, I, I uh, fight against what I just said. 70 AD that. Okay. So everything else I said about secular, so it doesn't matter if they claim to be a Christian or not 70 AD. Like I want to know why these secular scholars think it has to be written after and that people are, are wouldn't make one note about the destruction of the temple. That's my question. Okay. I've refuted but, myself wait, in asking the question. Wait, Nate. Can I just tell a random, like, you know, Dr. Robin Faith Walsh, for example, or uh, Bert, Dr. Bert Ehrman? Like, they call themselves secular. You do know that, right? Like, there are many people who, who suggest that it, uh, the, the the Gospels are written after Sandy C or at Sandy C. They call themselves secular. That's why I'm doing it. Now you're you keep if you're the guy to tell me no 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 they're wrong and I'm wrong well I don't know what to tell you all we're trying to tell you is that these non fine non Christian scholars okay that's that uh, study the Bible and publish their writings and their work they are saying that this the Gospels cannot possibly be written okay before Sunday C that's the argument and they're dying on the hill okay and please answer Nate's question thank you I'm so sorry for uh, interrupting you Nate forgive me. Um, well, real quick, hang on. There's a question that actually matters um, in, in chat. Um, it says, if I can ask a question, what was Christ's message? That is the greatest question you can ask. And the answer is the ultimate point of the Bible, regardless of any other stuff we like delve off into. So the ultimate point of Christ and his whole message to everyone is to have eternal life in him and to live forever with your creator. That's the ultimate message. So uh, the things Christ says in his message is, you must uh, re repent. 
the stuff you know is bad, stop doing it. Um, you must be born again. That means you believe you are spiritually dead. Like you have a spirit and that spirit is dead and it needs to become alive. You must be born again spiritually. And Jesus says, you can have eternal life um, if you just ask him for it. He will freely give eternal life to anyone who wants it completely for free. That's it. So that's the message of Christ. So if someone hears that and says, yes, you say I must be born again. I will exercise faith. I will and pray to this Jesus in the Bible and say something like Jesus. Yes, I'm willing to believe you are who you say you are. You're the son of God. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead and you can give me eternal life and make me born again. I want that. Please do that. Give me eternal life. I will follow you. That right there is the entire point of Christ's message and the most important thing in the universe. So um, there you go. So if you, if you care further, pray something like that to Jesus, exercising a little bit of faith that what he said is true and he is who he says he is, and you will have eternal life just like that. Uh, then if you're not familiar with the Bible, start reading about Jesus. Start in the New Testament. That's where the story of Jesus really picks up. Everything before that is a good history lesson. It shows prophecies about Jesus and how we get to Jesus. But if you want to read the actual message and words of Jesus, that's going to be in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read what he says and do what he says. Anyways, thank you for that question. That is the most important thing anyone could ever ask. Anyone have a follow-up on that? Yeah, I love how uh, Nate preaches the gospel harder than like an old school Calvinist preacher on here. It's good stuff, dude. I have a few questions. Like the whole talk about like uh, historical methodology, uh, whether or not it allows um, for miracles or not, right? Like it, it seems to me that it's just like um, uh, like a methodological restraint that you can't allow for supernatural causation, right? When you're doing like canonized historical research, right? Does that make sense? No, that's just an anti-supernatural bias. No, it's a methodological constraint. That's cute that you think that. But I say it's an anti-supernatural bias, and that is what okay. the academy does. So we just disagree, and we disagree on the nature of the academy. We disagree on what the academy should be doing. Um, you have a secular version of the academy. I have a theist version of the academy, and neither the twain shall meet. You can take your atheist academy and go kick rocks with it. I just but, don't care. Okay, fine. But so would you say the same thing about like physics and chemistry and biology? Yes. Okay. Yep. He does. Like, I'll grant he's consistent about it. Yep. Sorry. Your non-theist chemistry and biology and physics is just stupid and just doesn't have a basis for its worldview. It doesn't have any epistemology. It's just dumb. Like, go away. We don't care. Presuppositionalism. Noah, what's up, dude? Hey, man. Long time. It's been a while, bro. Hey, uh, what did you say? So when you said it was a methodological constraint, um, that they um, don't count as like an explanatory candidate supernatural explanations. I could, I didn't, I wasn't paying close enough attention to the. No, they count as explanatory candidates in like the 
philosophy, like, you know, the, um, the uh, ivory towers of like philosophy or religious or theology or whatever. Right. Like, but they, they just like, there's, um, in certain, uh, uh, like practices, right. And certain professional practices, right. Like think about like, um, professional historians, professional physicists, right. There's just a methodological constraint against supernatural, um, uh, explanations. So I think the trouble there is going to be, what, what do you mean by supernatural? Well, so I, anything that can't, well, yeah, right, exactly. So like there, there are physics explanations like the multiverse, right. That are uh, theoretically not empirical. Right. So like, it's hard to say like super, what is supernatural because supernatural is not just like not empirical. Right. Obviously. Um, but like the easy inference, like imagine if when we were doing history, right, we could just say things like, well, um, you know, uh, this text is has a higher um, uh, uh, attestation to being correct. Right. Because it's uh, predictive. It was like a, a, a pre pre uh, prediction of some future event. Right. That was going to happen. Right. And we were allowed to just like as a historical matter. Right. Just like use that as an explanation for why this certain text is should be like, I don't know. Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like privileged over other texts. Right. But then you would have to allow that type of thing in every religious context. Right. And it would be um, uh, <laughs> it would be a matter of hashing out each individual historian's like theological commitments, right. In order to figure out what the like providence of certain historical documents is. Right. And we don't want to be fighting on that ground in the, in like the actual academic context. Right. We want to be fighting on the ground of things that can be like verified and appreciated by everyone who's uh, addressing the subject. Right. It doesn't make sense to say, well, I have an argument for the um, providence of this certain document. Right. My argument is based off my theological beliefs. Right. Because then we have uh, historical journals arguing about theology. Right. But so, Miller, don't you can I just ask you, you uh, ask this guy a, a question for me? The problem that I have with what you're saying is like the, the methodology that you're describing so when we're discussing history, sometimes become unempirical, okay? And it becomes so biased, and their bias is forcing them to engage in ad hoc. Like, for example, when Bert Ehrman is uh, performing exegesis in, of, of Isaiah 53, okay? He's going to argue that because uh, it is impossible for a human being to retell the events that occur 800 years later, okay? Uh, he's going to focus on the grammar, and the way how uh, the event is written in past tense to suggest that this has already occurred. But number one, this has, the events that are described in Isaiah 53, okay, th there's no evidence of his claim that it happened before, okay, the time of Jesus. They, he doesn't even have that evidence. Number two, sure. we know for sure that people have uh, talked about uh, prophecies in past tense. 
it's called the prophetic perfect. Yeah, so man, that's man. number number two, and number three again, like for me, I want you. I hope you understand the perspective for Christian here. Uh, when I'm trying to be objective and see all these historians who are secular, right, doing their so-called work, right, and so suddenly engaging in such of their work where they don't show any evidence. They're presupposing their beliefs, saying that oh, no supernatural events can occur. And so they try to deliberately fit the data, uh, try to frame the data and twist it as they see fit. How is that really well, like any empirical work? It's not. Oh boy. There's there's a lot there, but just really quick. What I was trying to what I was just trying to point out, Mel, is that I think what you're the divide you're trying to make between history and theology is just something that Christians are going to reject. Like, I don't, I don't think that's how history should be done. And I think there is a certain naivete at best of that view, because when you say historians shouldn't engage in, in these theological analyses and arguments, the problem is that you've already done that, right? Methodological naturalism just is a theological thesis, right? It just says something about God, namely that we can make good sense of historical documents without referring to him, right? That is a theological thesis. And it happens to be one that a lot of people in the field agree on, and it sort of sweeps a lot of theological questions under the rug, right? But that is to disagree with, frankly, how most human beings have done history for thousands of years. Yeah, but the whole point, right, is that, like, the, like, okay, so... um it seems to me, right, that there have been a plethora of, historically, there have been a plethora of, let's say, theological explanations for this, right? Um, and uh, a lot of them, right, even if from your perspective, right, most theological explanations for things throughout the history of the world, like all Chinese theological explanations, all Indian theological explanations, right, all of those don't hold any water, right? So, Can you give us an example in the West, though? Of a theological explanation that's taken as history. But can you, uh, how does that really relate to my question though? Because what I'm saying is, can you show me how <coughs> so, it's so one second, let me just, let me just finish. So I was responding directly to uh, A. Um, so yeah, so the point is that like, uh, uh, in order for like the actual, like, I, I keep trying to think of the word, that's why I'm stuttering so much, but I can't think of the word. Like in order for the actual academic practices of these things, right, to get off the ground and really progress, right, you have to um, kind of, uh, uh, like, <laughs> as A said, you have to kind of assume methodological naturalism, right, to even get started, because otherwise you can just, like, put in a plethora of theolo of um, supernatural explanations, right, right at, right at the start. You don't have to do any investigation, right? So, like, if our explanations for, let's say, all physical things is that God did it, right, then we don't really, like, you can just have that as the explanation in every single paper that you write, right? Every really? physics paper sure. could just have, like, well, you know, well, we saw this interaction and uh, God did it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, because that's, that's why it. physics has a methodologically naturalistic um, uh um, assumption built into it, right? Because that's how you really wait, get wait, the wait. thing going off the ground, right? Wait, because uh, it's about being I able to demonstrate it to other people in a way that they're satisfied with. 
Wait, Jimmy, before you respond, can I just respond back? Because uh, there was some error with Club Deck. So I, I have to come back. For me, how is that really answering my question, Miller? Because you're claiming that... Uh, no, he, he was... Re remember, I asked I asked a question. Okay. I was okay. responding to that. And then, June, you were going to ask a different question, but it's, but it's kind of off topic. So can you... Do you mind if we finish this topic real quick before we get to your question? It's kind of a different topic. What do you mean? I already asked a question before. What are you talking about? No, 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 well, no. Let, my, it, let my, him finish real fast. And I, uh, yeah, let, let uh, a uh, uh, Jimmy and Millet finish up, and I also have a question. Does anyone want to keep this going? Because I have to go to a dentist. Would you like to stay? Anyone like to stay? Yeah, I can keep stay going? for a little bit. No problem. Okay, I'm just going to fade so. off into the mist at some point. Jimmy, good, good to see you. You need to set that alarm clock so I can uh, hang out with you earlier. And, um, Good talk, everyone, and I'm just going to fade into the mist at some point. God bless, bro. All right, see you guys later. Don't lose them teeth. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, I, <clears throat> Mill, this is, bro, this is what I'm trying to uh, point out is the mischaracterization, right? There's, like, two, there's two claims here that I think are e extremely naive. One is the claim that if we didn't assume Fuck this you, constraint, what did you, you say? I was joking. I just said "fuck you" because you said oh. <laughs> "I'm sorry." I'm sorry. I'm trying to be. I'm trying to be nice, right? Like I think this. Is, I think this is just wrong. But no, man, be as mean as I you want. Understand. Well, here's the thing, right? I understand how somebody growing up in our culture could would we're we're bathed in this stuff in our culture at a very young age, right? So I understand why people believe this, but like, stop to think about it for a second, right? Why would it follow that just because I don't have methodological naturalism? that I have no uh, alternative constraints on what kind of explanations are uh, fair candidates, right? Is it really the case that if I don't believe methodological naturalism, that I have no other reasons to limit what kind of explanations we can put forward? No, right? Like as a Christian, just like you already said, right? I, I don't consider Hindu or Taoist or uh, Islamic um, sources of theological claims to be relevant. I think their I think their worldviews are false, right? I don't. Well, can I, I don't can actually... stop you right there? So, like, I think like the whole point is right. So, like, now imagine a world in which um, theological explanations are game for historical um, debates in the can like in the actual academic academic sense, right? Um. You have a document that you think has providence, um, a historical Christian document that you think has like providence and not just providence in a historical sense, but like providence in a theological sense, right? And they have a document that they think has providence um, in the same theological sense and historical sense, right? Are and they say they give two provenance? different explanations for some phenomenon. It's, what? Millith, are you meaning provenance? Like it's source or are you saying providence as if like, there's something true about it. I, I'm just uh, like what I mean, the... what I mean is that like it has, um, uh, like, uh, well, I I kind of mean like both, a, right? A supernatural agent is behind it. Is what I was taking you into. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I also mean that like it, because the supernatural agent is behind it, it's historically very important. Okay. Okay. Go on. Does that on. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah I'm with you. And they have two different explanations for the same phenomenon, let's just say, right? So then, what are we arguing about in the historical journal, right? Are we arguing about whether or not the the 
Christian providential document is more providential than the um, than the Hindu providential document? Are we arguing about whether the Christian God exists and the Hindu God doesn't? Like, what is the historical journal arguing about in that case? I don't think that. Uh, I don't think that those. Well, I don't. To be honest with you, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know. Um, I don't see why those debates could not take place at the level of historiology. But even if that's not, even if they didn't, um, there would be overlap with those debates, right? Somebody could debate about whether or not um, the Israelite captivity in Egypt took place, right? That's like a maybe more quote unquote historical. I'm putting my my fingers up in the air here, right? That's like a more historical question, right? But that question is going to relate to the truth of Christianity right away, right? If, the, if there was no um, Israelite captivity, it's going to be very hard to account. It's going to be very hard to preserve the truth of the book of Exodus and other books that refer to that book's historicity. You know what's going on there. So, but uh, Milith, yeah, so like there's, there's like two sides of this, right? The one, the one side to this is just that I, um, it's, I don't think it's the case that if you drop methodological naturalism, you have no substitute constraints on what counts as fair game in the in positing explanations. In fact, I think methodological naturalism is actually problematic. I, th I think there's philosophical reasons for thinking that naturalism of any kind should just be put off the table. But that's but that's a side point, right? In other, in other words, like, hey, if you think that naturalism is problematic, then of course you don't want it to be influencing as a, as an assumption in science or history or any of that other stuff, right? You want to replace that with with something you think is more accurate uh, epistemologically. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect. Yeah, that makes perfect sense, obviously. But like, so like, I'm a method a method. I'm a non naturalist atheist, right? Like, I don't think naturalism is sufficient to account for everything that we encounter, right? Um, but that doesn't mean that I think that non-naturalistic explanations should be allowed in physics, right? Like, it's just a matter of, like, like trying to silo these discussions in a way that makes sense in an academic context, right? Like, let me, let, let me jump ahead of you real quick, because I think I know what you're trying to do. But like, this is how it's, this is how it's going to work for a Christian, right? A Christian, when he looks at the universe everything he sees is god doing it right all of this is god's decree all of this is god's providence that's n neither a hindrance nor is it a scientific model right that's like pre-scientific foundations for doing science on on the christian world right and i don't think you want to posit a platonic uh substitute for that and we can argue about that at the philosophical yeah. level right but it, but when a christian is is trying to build models and posit theories and that sort of thing then what he what he construes as quote unquote the natural world right is just the average way that God runs things right in his mind things like natural law really refer to literal laws right the 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 laws that God has set in motion to govern his cosmos the natures that God has given things that cause these predictable results right it's a matter of of divine design plan yeah but that's all fine like. I have no problem with any of that, right? Like, I just don't want it in the professional literature, right? So, like, if you're a physicist, right, and 
you believe that God is behind everything, that's great. But like, still figure out how he did it or whatever, or she, she or she did it, right? Like, still participate in, in finding naturalistic or whatever you want to call it, like a mechanical, if you don't want to call it naturalistic, because that's too loaded, that's fine. Find mechanistic ways of explaining the world in a way that doesn't make like a direct recourse to theological precepts that not everyone accepts. Right. Like in what sense though? Like, I mean, most of the science that you credit as science today had an underpinning of Christian theology. That, that was the, that is the soul of science is like we, you would still be baying at the know, moon I could, and I could debate about that, but I, oh, I, I could debate about that, it. but you'd still be baying at the moon and painting your face blue in, and living in a mud hut somewhere if it weren't for Christianity and the science that Christianity brought us. And so the presuppositions <laughs> that Christianity brings to the table in terms of a universe that is understandable and is ordered according to God's creation, that is what gives us science. And if we go away from that, we are going away from that right now. We're going to a postmodern idea. And you know what's happening is that they're having actual discussions about meteorology at conferences at scientific conferences about the wind god okay so like this nonsense that we're just going to have this atheist worldview and that should be the default scientific worldview is simply it's just not the case there's so much to tackle there well, the, the main issue i think like the narrow issue milt is that <clears throat> not everything needs to have a mechanistic explanation, right? So when the scientists want to talk about like the beginnings of the universe, right? I'm not even, a, I'm not a young earth creationist, but I think it's problematic. I think a lot of their scientific work is just begging the question against their opponents because they're, <laughs> because they're starting from uh, methodological naturalism. And insofar as that's a poor um, assumption, and I, and I think it is, to, uh, to to tackle these questions, you know, where did the universe come from, or you know, where, how did the Earth, you know, what what were like the causal conditions of the Earth or whatever, like yada yada yada, right? Insofar as we have a reason already to suspect that those are non-repeatable miraculous events, that's just going to put doubt on our ability to come up with a scientific model that that even can do the job that we're trying to get it to do, right? We would just be asking the wrong questions. Yeah, and that's absolutely fine. Like, it could be that there are certain questions that can't be answered by science, right? And like, that, that what I what do I mean could be I, like, there are questions that can't be answered by science, right? But like, that's not, um, that doesn't give us warrant to inject non scientific answers into our science. You understand what I'm saying? So like, just because not every answer can be answered by science necessarily, right? Um, doesn't mean that like in our science, we want um, non-scientific propositions, right? I, well, and there's I a big debate in the community about like, what is a scientific proposition? Like, what does it mean for something to be theoretically empirically provable or whatever, right? Like, it's a big debate and like, we can get into that, right? But like, I think there's a good case, like there's a good inductive case about like how these, um, these uh, 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 sectors of thought have progressed, right, um, throughout the 
throughout the um, de- uh, millennia or whatever, right? And the answer is by proposing testable, um, like, uh, hypotheses with generally agreed upon, um, uh, like, uh, uh, let's say, minimalistic axioms, right? And, like, that doesn't include God, right? Like, God as an explanation for things doesn't really get us very far historically, right? And not positing God and, like, leaving that aside as a, as a question for other disciplines and just focusing on, like, what is you know, um, minimally axiomatically acceptable to everyone and then provable within that context, right. Has got us a lot further. That, but that's not true. There's always been worldview behind all science. What you're positing is a fairy world that has never, ever existed. Like that has never existed. Everyone has a worldview going in and your worldview is going to shape how you do that science. No one is suggesting we go back to the idea that the world is riding on the back of a turtle. Okay. Like no one is doing that. Um, what we are saying is that, you know, the worldview that I have say in physics, I mean, there are physics papers that are proposing Taoism as a, uh, as an explain as explanatory power for things that they find in quantum physics. There's a whole, there's a whole swath of quote unquote physics research for this. There's a whole swath of research, um, in the physical sciences. Like I have a friend who's a mathematician and he, he regularly mocks his colleagues at their inability to do math. And half of what you think is solid science is based on such crap math that like it's laughable. And so your worldview absolutely matters you know, and people that are in these fields are producing things based on their worldviews. And my, my pushback to all of this is that you, you can do science with a naturalistic worldview, but you're going to fail more often than you are going to succeed in terms of getting true results that mirror what we find in the universe. Um, can I ask you a question on that? 